Okay, good morning, everyone. It's Saturday, May 27th, 2023, with another edition of the Saturday Free School for Philosophy and Black Liberation. Um, it's a special edition because a lot of us just returned back to Philadelphia from the great city of Chicago, where the Saturday Free School just had our first event in Chicago, um, celebrating Paul Robeson um, on his 125th birth anniversary year. Um, and a lot of us were saying how we couldn't sleep basically for the past days, not just because we were hanging out and stuff, but also because it was such a fantastic event. And we're so excited to debrief the event and recap it for anyone who maybe watched online um, or wasn't able to see it at all, um, to talk about what we thought of the event, um, what it says about the people of Chicago, but also what it says about um, how we understand the world today, the crisis and our path forward. Going back to people like Paul Robeson, his life, what it says to us about the ideological struggle in science and philosophy. Um, but before I go deeper into my thoughts, because I have so many, I wanted to turn it to Neha, who was one of the main primary organizers of this great event. Um, and I just want to say you did such a good job. It was such a moving event. And even though I should be more tired and maybe my body, my eyes are kind of tired, I'm so happy. Like I just feel, and sometimes it feels like a spiritual experience to go to our free school events. And it just fills you up with so much in your heart that it keeps you going. And you're just like, I can't wait to wake up the next day and start all over again and move forward. But I wanted to hand it to you, Neha, to explain how the event came together um, and just what you thought of the event. Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, so we celebrated uh, the 125th birth anniversary at the Sahul Museum of Black History and uh, Education Center. And this is like a landmark institution in Chicago because it was founded by Dr. Margaret Burroughs, who was also mentored uh, by Paul Robeson. She looked up to Paul Robeson and was a close aide of Paul Robeson. So that was really important for us that uh, the the, the Sagul Museum agreed to part like partner with us on this, uh, and the the event started out with uh, with with a documentary screening that members of the Saturday Free School had put together, and uh, and uh, the the reason why we decided to put together the documentary was because we felt that there was nothing out there that was the none of the documentaries that are out there were doing justice to Paul Robeson the man and all the ideas. And I think with free school's framework, I think we, the way we have studied Paul Ropes and we wanted to bring that out to everybody. And so for that, uh, and we, we, we didn't want to apologize. Like, I think that this thing was, we wanted to stress on this, that we don't want to apologize for anything he did because he was so extraordinary. And he was such an, such a, in, like he was an intellectual man. Like he, he thought things through so deeply and like analyze things and he must have there must be reasons why he took the positions he took and i think looking back we, we we should first try to understand him on his own terms like understand him through his words through his uh interviews through his songs and what he had to say and what people who worked with him closely had to say and then uh like and use that framework to understand his life so for that reason we put together this documentary and I felt like it resonated with people very deeply. Like I, I could see in the audience 
people like clapping, people cheering every time they heard Robson say something. And there were people who were crying at, at, at places. And like, it was, it was something else. Like, I think we, we watched the, like people who are putting the documentary together, all of us, like we watched it so many times. Uh, that we like literally remember like see like the documentary what comes after anything but watching it in that with everybody together it was very moving it was it was something else uh, and i think it perfectly also framed like the event for like the panel discussion that was to come later and uh, i think yeah i had like members from the audience as they were leaving walk up to me to say that they they had been seen this and they wanted to screen it uh, at as many places as possible, like we had people from the Nation of Islam saying uh, that they wanted to screen it in high schools uh, and and uh, some people from the churches and also people from uh, different organizations. Like I, I can't name all the organizations, but they said that they wanted to screen this uh, in their uh, in organization. Um, so that was really nice. And also like not, like just people like walking up to you and saying that, thank you for this. Like we hadn't seen ropes so much of ropes and I heard, heard him. I think that was very moving. Uh, and then we had the panel discussion where uh, uh, Perry Diggs from the Dusabal Museum spoke and uh, we had Minister Ishmael Muhammad from the Nation of Islam Mosque Maryam. Uh, he spoke uh, and then we had Doc speaking from uh, the Saturday Free School. And I, I think, um, yeah, it was very interesting. I, I think uh, the the whole panel discussion just made me excited actually for the Philadelphia event because now like this can be built into like like so much of what the conversation that happened there could be like now expanded in the one day like celebration that's going to happen in June. So uh, I think that was really interesting and the formulation of like Robson as like this scientist like a philosopher like who had things to say not just through his art but like through his art but also everything that through the life he led like yeah like setting up an example i think that was uh that was great and i i am really looking forward to like building on this like when we come to philadelphia um uh and then then yeah we ended the night with some musical performances which was which was also like i think a lot of people enjoyed it it was a different take on Robson's song, like a blues version. I I, I was told so. That was <laughs> uh, so that was great. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but one one thing I wanted to say, like the turnout was between hundred to hundred and twenty people. Like I just did a rough head count, uh, and most of them were black people. So we were really honored, like uh, that so many people came for the event, and uh, and it also sort of brought to like brought the importance of like these black institutions like strong black institutions in the city being like uh like these centers that like sort of like collect and mobilize people in a way i don't know mobilize if it's that's the right word but like they've brought in like so many people into the audience and i think yeah that 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 became very like evident like in a very concrete way i i could understand it for the first time yeah Well, I, I, before the flood of comments come in from everyone else, I wanted to also say that your introduction, Neha, was really perfect. Um, like the whole, everything you listed, like, uh, because the, the program began with the documentary that you and Purba and other people made, which 
was, I mean, I could talk for hours about even just that. And I think we will, but even before we, you guys, well, before we screened the documentary at the event, you gave an introduction to the documentary, Neha, and you made me cry because it was just so beautiful. And I feel like what was also so important for the audience was, yeah, it is true. I think it was a lot of older black people, like 40s, 50s and above, um, people who know, who probably, you know, um, still cherish the institution of the DuSable Museum and the history it comes from, Margaret Burroughs. And so that was my guess of why they came and also they know the memory, they remember the memory of Robeson. But I felt like when I watched you introduce the documentary, the way you framed it as we could not find any footage, not only could we not find footage that did Robeson justice or like a documentary that did Robeson justice in of itself, but it was very clear that things that were created were meant to smear him, to encourage the propaganda that Robeson lived a sad life, or he was like, even this thing of like, oh, he was broken down or blah, blah, blah. And the way you said, you were like, no, we're gonna show that his life was a triumph, not a tragedy. And when you said that, like, it was just, yeah, everyone was like, whoa. And I think people actually started clapping because people feel it. They don't fall for the BS that the ruling class has tried so hard to do for Robeson to purposely, because he was such, like you said, such an extraordinary person who never betrayed his principles because he could never betray the people. He always unapologetically standing up for peace, for being, for saying, I am an American and I am of African descent, but to say I'm an American means I will always, I have to take the side of revolution of the people. And, but yeah, I also love the way, Neha, you framed the documentary or just in, in some ways framed the whole event where you said, um, even like the way you like called Robeson a, a magnificent, you were like, he's a magnificent human being. And you could tell that that really moved people in the audience to see you in particular, you know, young, and I guess all of us, like young people, Asian people who were just so like not hesitant, like, or doubtful at all that we're like, we want to pay, we're paying honor and respect to a magnificent human being. Like, I feel like that was really moving for people. Um, but I just wanted to say that, like, I really loved your introduction. And yeah, I was like, cause I was like, well, I didn't organize this, this event, so I'm not gonna cry today. And instead I was just like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then the documentary, I was also crying. And like, even when out of nowhere, like Henry Winston popped up and Henry Winston was like talking about what was done to him in prison, the, the price you pay as an American who really wants to, inject dignity back into this country like i was just like crap tears <laughs> so i can tell it's very funeral and also the that the contextualization of it was like a moment where we all were clear exactly on everything we know who paul robeson is we're not lying about that or trying to tear him down it's like that kind of um raveling or taking off the veil of like who who a person who's been lied about who hasn't been his story hasn't been told in a in 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 a truly contextualized way 
Um, the documentary reiterated that, um, put him in his rightful, like the rightful place where he stood in the middle of the movement, in the beginning of the civil rights movement, the world peace movement, mm -hmm. Bandung, mm -hmm. um, the anti-colonial struggle. Um, and the introduction also had a feeling, or I was feeling like sitting there, you know, in the audience next to Parva, who was looking at Neha. And, um, you know, and I was looking around me too, because there wasn't just us who were rubbing our eyes. Mm -hmm. I, like a woman who I didn't introduce myself to, but that it means something to be told the truth. Yes. It means mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. like not only are we not afraid, but that we can move forward on the same grounding, on the same basis. Um, we have the same knowledge and we actually can stand upon the truth without fear. That's a very significant example, um, especially in a time when that's hardly um, done. Like we'll probably talk about um, again. Also, the mission statement. Um, I thought it being read um, in the type of audience that came was very moving and very real. Um, and like we'll talk about with everything that we experienced in the event itself, or even going to Chicago, like learning that the a uh, human being sees itself and learns about itself through the world yes. and through this idea mm -hmm. of also what Neha had also written about in her article about Proverbs and about the human universal. Um, it was just these truths were evident in everything that was read um, and that was shown um, during the event. And it, like, I just like really like the ending of the mission statement about the Ganga's river and how it all like weaved together in this beautiful poetry that um, it was just, yeah, that was really touching. And everybody was touched and they reciprocated that, they showed that. Um, and that also means something that there's a, there's a relationship of trust yes. between people yes. who don't know yes. each other. Yes. Um, but uh -huh. now, can see, or, you know, feel reliance, can feel like they can rely upon um, with not only what Free School does, um, but the Dusabo Museum and the Nation of Islam. So it, it definitely means something moving forward. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to add one thing. Like, I think, like, yeah, Meghna, when she wrote that mission statement, I think, like, it was really, really strong and clear. And I think it helped us also because we are two new people in Chicago. This is the first event. And so everybody is getting introduced to us, but they really don't know how to gauge us. And I think, like, when we, when we spoke to them and then sent them every, like, person, like, even when we were inviting for panel discussions or deciding the venue, we always sent the mission statement first. So I think, like, that sort of set the tone for what was going to come. And I think like, yeah, I agree. Like that mission statement was really beautiful. And Meghna like really worked hard on it. And like, so I think it framed, and it was like about building principled relationships. It was not like, oh, we just need this venue. We need to get this done. It's not just some other event that is going to happen on the weekend. 
or like on the weekdays <laughs> but uh, it was just like yeah it it's about building something together yeah i just also wanted to add that you know in free school we have been talking about the idea of the emergence of a new people a new human being you know a revolution of values and this is not something that we are just theorizing that we are working out in theory but through these events like this like i would this is a historic event in chicago i don't think it has ever been done and i think meena nehan everybody everybody who worked on this way we put paul robson back in people's consciousness in in in, a, in the way in, in the way that he should be in people's consciousness but i also feel like it's a working out of that concept of new human being in political practice because you see how people who interact with meena nehan everybody from free school young people are actually moved and you know it's almost like they're they're interacting with a new it's a new kind of relationship it's a new interaction and i'm still reeling from all of this i don't know if i can talk about any of this coherently <laughs> yeah perva what were you saying what you were saying about new human relations i think i would also add like or new human beings i also add like new human relations because something that was also apparent through the conference is the power of ideas like what we've been saying throughout free school which is like what are, what are what is the power of ideas to transform human beings but also to bring people together and unify them um and what you're saying is like you know what does it mean to for these ideas to be put into practice because i think i really felt it this time particularly going to chicago too because one it was a new city i was trying to make sense of chicago like how the people there are um because we were all talking about how like everyone's super nice and i don't know if it's because they can tell that we're tourists um but uh like everyone's smiling everyone's just looking at like when we're walking down the street people are like actually really smiling like with big smiles um but back to like the event so prior to the start of the event you know a bunch of us we were gathered outside um like with refreshments and snacks um and there are tables and there's this one lady who came in she sat down um she's like maybe like 60s 70s like older black woman and then I came and I was trying to look for a seat to sit and she was like come sit with me so we sat down and then we just ended up talking and so she asked me like oh why do you like why do you care about Paul Robeson and so I told her like you know and I mean she obviously was like oh yeah how does this young Chinese Asian woman know about Paul Robeson so I told her and she's like oh okay okay and then um when we went into like she saw the documentary and then she had to leave like at the beginning she said she had to leave but she actually stayed a lot longer than she said she would by the time she had to leave and then so when she left she was like it was really nice meeting you but then i felt like like unsatisfied that i had like that we had to part and so i like ran outside and chased after her and then she was like she and then we got to talk a little bit and she was like no like thank you so much for this event like that documentary was amazing and you know like now i understand why you look up to robeson because i think in the beginning when i told her she didn't quite really understand why robeson was significant but because of the documentary she saw how robeson you know robeson wherever he went he found people that he could connect to and relate to and like see their striving in and um and so i think in that moment she was like oh yeah like 
like there was something that was cha- like forever changed and that she could see um herself in asia but then like in people like in world humanity um and then we were able to connect as well in that moment and she like gave me this big hug and then like we exchanged numbers and then she left but i guess i say all this to say like like that was such a wonderful documentary and i do think people who um oh actually the other piece was that she said she knew robeson but she didn't know him like that you know the way that he was represented in the documentary of connecting oh, wow. to the world um and so i say that to say like that documentary really was wonderful because people were li- like you know sometimes like these documentaries go on and people fall asleep people snooze off but i think everyone really like i was trying to listen to how people were responding and ev- like throughout all corners people were like yeah that's right or like whoa like i didn't know like i could hear it throughout the, the theater yeah. uh, like people really were engaged um and I think that was something that I've still been processing, which is this idea of like, yeah, what what is the power of ideas? Um, what are we at the free school trying to do? Um, and even the fact that like this is the first event in Chicago that we've had, but that you know we found a place where these ideas make sense to people. Mm-hmm. You know, free school isn't just Philadelphia; like it comes from Philadelphia, but isn't just Philadelphia. It's something that represents like the potential of um, our country. Yeah, throughout the documentary, when people, like, yeah, people were cheering. I remember people, and then, like, people were kind of like, oh, at least that's how I felt. It felt, the documentary was so well put together about his life, but also this, like, the parts of his life that were so horrible. Like, being put in front of the HUAC, like, t- and then you, there were so many testimonies talking about how Robeson, yeah, had to outright just say, you know what, like, I forget who said it, but that he talking about how Robeson had all this fame and money, but it was, I think someone said, ironically, the more fame and Robeson got, the more he went deeper and deeper into the working class. And throughout the documentary, like what Alice, you were saying, reminded me that I remember feeling like, whoa, it feels like we're in one of those like movie theaters where everyone's like cheering for the hero, right? Like everyone's like, yeah, get him, get him, you go get him. And when Robeson like had those one-liners where he was like, um, the senator was like, why don't you just go back? Like, why do you, why don't you just go back to Russia? And Robeson's like, because this is my country and my father was a slave. Everyone was like, that's right. Like, and I just, you could feel that people had so much pride. And if you didn't even know Robeson like that, you could not leave that, like that auditorium, not feeling, not just pride about Robeson, but being feeling proud of yourself. Like I am like, that's my guy and I have something to live up to. And yeah, I think that's also why I was so moved by the event too. Cause I was like, yeah, like I, like you just, you cannot help but leave that place. And like, you just think about the effect it would have on young people too, where it's like, yeah, this is my hero, my guy, like this is me. And he's like a living example of the greatest pressures put on you by whatever you want to call it, the status quo, the ruling elites, society, which wants to separate you from other people and separate from you, you from loving yourself, as Minister Ishmael said. And instead you get, you almost, it feels like you watch Robeson on the screen and it's his actual life. It's not even a superhero movie. This is a real living like superhero. And you feel like you're like, I can do effing anything. 
and I can stand, I'm going to stand for myself. But yeah, hearing like, it's true. Like there is, if it like people were, I've never, I feel like I've never been in that kind of space where people are cheering on their hero. Um, and it's Robeson. Yeah, actually just a quick add. What else, the other thing that she said, she actually, when I went up to talk, like chase after her, she was like, Robeson was Superman. Like that was actually the word she used. Um, but before then, when we were talking, she was like, Robeson represents me. And I was like, whoa, like he, she said, Robeson represents me. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard that from anyone. And then going into the documentary, like even more so, like that was reaffirmed and then coming out of it. Like those two pieces, I think, support what you were saying, Emily, where like that was the actual word that she said, where he was everything. Yeah, I just wanted to briefly add, well, reiterate what Alice is saying, because I also, you know, briefly had a conversation with the same woman who Alice was talking about. And, you know, like, I was just trying to ask, you know, like, what brought you here? How did you hear about this event? And you know, her response was so sharp. She was like, okay, you know, Paul Robeson stood for me and, you know, like the people. And, you know, today I come here to stand for him. And, you know, like, you, you see how, like, Paul Robeson lives in people's lives. This is not something to be taken lightly. And, you know, the people who came, a majority of them had like a very personal feeling. Like, you know, it's the way that Margaret Burroughs talks about Robeson in her tribute, where he, he, like, you know, she describes her relationship with Robeson as almost like a love affair. She says that, like, you know, I, I was so touched by him. And, you know, she, she talks about it in, like, you know, in the way of saying that, okay, like, this is when, like, my love affair with Paul Robeson began, when she first met him. But, you know, she was, like, she was really talking about somebody who really touched you so much that he has had an effect on you throughout your life. The fact that, you know, like, like that bit of the quote from Dr. Burroughs in the, in part of the documentary where, you know, she says that, you know, every time she's faced with a crisis, she thinks about what Robeson would do. And it just made me think, you know, this is the way a lot of people have thought about Robeson. He has been the one that, you know, stood for, um, you know, people and also for the future. And, you know, people have this sense, even if they don't uh, articulate it in exactly the same way, they have this sense that, you know, like Robeson stood for our generations, like, you know, generations to come. And you know, today we have a task at hand. And in an event like this is going on, okay, we are going to come and check out what it's about. We don't know what it's going to be about. And that's why I, I really appreciate what Alice said later on that, you know, like they had a conversation later about how, you know, like even this woman, I think her name was Linda, how she was also like transformed that she was saying, I think that's what Alice said, that, you know, like how she realized how Robson was big, not just to America, but also to the world. I think, yeah, people are really seeing like this is almost like you know somebody I have worshipped all my life. Like you know, be like expanded even more. I mean, it's it's really it's really moving to see all of these you know testimonies of people who have come and responded a certain way. Yeah. I I also wanted to uh, say, you know because we, we for for putting together the documentary we watched lots and lots of footage. Some of that I mean you know you really have to time consume whatever you pick if we if we could have we would have made it as long as possible but you know there was also this one footage we didn't which we finally did not put in but it was people who knew Robeson from when he sang at his brother's church where his the church where his brother was a pastor mother ame zion church in new york and this woman says that you know me and my friend we went to meet Robeson after one of his concerts and Robeson 
took her hand, took my friend's hand and kissed it. And she said, I'm not going to wash my hand ever again. I mean, this thing you're saying about him being a superhero. Yeah, he was almost for people who didn't have very much. He was everything. And he he, he was that, that, that crucial thing, the hope that things will be better, that there is justice in the world. And this is what I really loved about Neha's introduction in the beginning also, where he says that, where she said that, you know, Robeson reminds us that there is a future and that we can theorize, we can formulate the future and we can fight for it and we can achieve it. All of these things, this entire range of possibilities. Um, yeah. I wanted to quickly yeah. jump in and uh, congratulate everybody who has worked on this event, not primary congratulations to Meghna, <laughs> uh, who is with us today in spirit, uh, and Neha, of course, but a lot of other people as, as well who have given us invaluable advice and support, including and especially Raju and Nandita, who are always, you know, uh, you know, one of our ideological anchors, <laughs> and um, I, 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 I feel like the the documentary uh, was just such a triumph, like as big as a triumph as Paul Robeson's life. I think we did it justice, and I think I purposely sort of positioned myself sort of front and center onto a few uh, empty seats because I was surrounded by a lot of older black people who had come to see the documentary. And more than anything, I was sort of listening to their reactions. And I was so, it, it's hard to describe how it felt when Robeson was talking about the Communist Party and the Soviet Union and the unity of people. And I could hear people saying, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. You got it. And th that that exactly uh, points to the fact that everybody's attention was on the documentary. Nobody Nobody's attention was wavering. They were hanging on to every word being said. And they were taking it all in because they were feeling it. They were really feeling it, you know, and I had like after the documentary, you know, we've seen it a couple of times, but as a lot of people were saying, it was a completely different experience seeing it with everybody in that in that venue, because that venue was important. That venue also changed things. And I had a few people uh, come up to me and asked me after the doctor after the entire event was over that why did you have to make a documentary you know um you know google gives you all of these tools they just google paul ropes and documentary and they might must have found like five different documentaries and i told them that none of them were as ideologically sharp as the one that you just saw you have to understand that when a documentary filmmaker, given the 60 to 90 minutes that he's been given to focus on a man, focuses on attacking him and providing apologies for him and focusing on just irrelevant things when you have this great legacy, which we 
like when we were cutting down parts of this documentary to make it fit into time it was like cutting off like a part of ourselves you know oh my god because there was so much that we wanted to say and and then we had to choose parts of it and it was um and that's that's where you that's where you understand that there's a, there's a significant difference between what you can find out there and what we have achieved what neha and meghna have achieved by forming this relationship with busabal by forming this relationship with the nation of islam and everybody's reaction was positive nobody went away from this thinking that you know what this is something i would not want to do again everybody <laughs> went away saying that this is something that i want to do over and over again and yeah uh, congratulations again to everybody who worked on this very very proud to have been a part of it yeah the uh the the marvel super movie hero movies that they keep putting out every year we wouldn't have to do that if we just knew a thing or two about mr paul robeson <laughs> uh I, i'm gonna so i remember uh thinking afterwards about how uh you know one one thing that does exist out there to some capacity that is growing is like putting a strategic importance on peace like for the rage against the war machine like oh you know we don't want to we don't want to nuke ourselves off the planet uh you know it's not good for the economy uh um uh, all 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 practical truths that uh mean something and i think are incorporated into a, a vision for peace uh, uh and the most progressive visions for, for peace including paul robeson uh but some something that i think truly stands out uh is the what the universality and the oneness of humanity and how we must be together and we belong together we are this, this that is the most natural thing uh and we and we need each other for us to truly fl flourish uh so that i can I, the, I i love the way that uh, uh minister ishmael muhammad put it he's like i can see myself in you and and know myself as i get to know you and you can do the same with me uh, uh i i uh saw the uh the the room i felt that they felt that you know like we can be a part of the uh of the world and we can be a part of each other uh in in ways that we have not never been before because we were never told this way and in fact we were told that we're opposed to each other so i you know i, I think the room was positive to begin with and and seeing all these different kinds of faces all these different kind of people including us you know we look a little we look a little different you know you don't see this kind of stuff everywhere man we're, we're, i say wow that how do they make sense of it i think that paul robeson tells you how we really belong together and they say i want to be a part of you too uh and, and i truly think that our uh, uh yeah that, that was the kind of reception that we received in chicago and the kind of feeling that i hope uh people take forward uh, uh in their lives and the possibilities that our, our country has. Paul Robeson is a man of our times. I, no, I just wanted to briefly add, like, I think I this thing makes a lot of sense. I think having the Nation of Islam, like, there, like, members from the Nation of Islam, there was, like, such a turning thing because 
uh, we were walking out of the auditorium briefly for in during the organization thing and then the security guard asked us like are you all muslims like <laughs> and then we were like no and then he, he, he like he was trying to make sense of the room basically like there were like these asians like different people from different backgrounds like all together in one room and like he's he's trying to read the room but it was that that was what was so powerful that everybody came together to celebrate this person and it represents something much bigger than like anybody's like you know like he belongs to all of us and not just like right. one community right. yeah that was yeah um once again i also wanted to i'm sorry we're all talking too much too much excitement but also pastor keith and dr carolyn being there with us the church of the overcomer the kind of support that that, that constant that and you know dr carolyn she introduced me to people who were there i don't know if she she introduced she introduced us she introduces us to the world as one of her children, children yeah you know and i mean i think in a sometime in the past i wouldn't have understood what that meant but i feel that now and the fact that they traveled all the way from philadelphia with us to be in chicago part of this event we are all so grateful to have that relationship with the church of the overcomer um i just wanted to mention that because yeah there's just so too many aspects of this event that was so moving and so new yeah um i just for one to start off want to say thank you to everybody truly um you know myself not having known paul robeson very much afterwards you just have to think like matt what a man um really incredible um and just to talk on uh paul robeson as a scientist because i think that was one of the more most beautiful things about um the event that put forward because he was able to take what you would think is a abstract philosophical concept um that you you know like about like the universality of human beings that we're all connected um but prove it you know through the music through the languages um and and just putting forward like a new type of science that has to take people seriously and take people and their creations as a uh, evidence for you know possibility in the future uh and explaining the the world that we're in so um i think it was it was incredibly beautiful and as for um paul robeson of as a man for the future um you know i think in some ways it felt like we were uncovering uh, ancient knowledge uh <laughs> that was kind of lost to people because i guess in the world that we live in um and especially america i guess i can't really speak for the world but in america the idea of you know being one with your neighbor is kind of lost um and part of the task i think for moving forward and and achieving america is is that bringing that understanding back to people um you know and i guess on that subject you know uh what am i saying just thinking on on that subject about like okay how do we have like the universality and oneness of like you know there's like the world stage and these there's the american stage um and i have to think that it has to follow something similar in putting forward like an 
putting an idea forward like what is America, you know, what is um, what our history and our values. And I guess just that going back to like the black worker struggling to achieve and define America. So you would have to, um, I think for that unity and for that creation of a people, you would have to look that um, in that struggle, I guess from, um, you know, I guess from the slave to civil rights movement and forward. Um, and what was I gonna say? I guess, uh, I kind of lost it, but it's just a lot, you know, it was so much. I was so happy to really see um, just a beautiful thing. And also, I guess to the point that uh, Paul Robeson shows you that the world can be known because he knew so damn much um, and that you have a responsibility to actually know the world and know every people um, for one, because it would take uh, everybody in the world to denounce like the system of imperialism and white supremacy um, to bring about a new world. But also because in knowing the world, I guess you have the evidence um, for your ideas. So it was just really beautiful. Yeah, I just, um, I, I wasn't able to go to Chicago with you all, which I'm really sad about, but I was able to watch um, most of the live stream. And yeah, I just wanted to congratulate um, Neha and Megna and everyone, especially the documentary, which I'm really excited to watch. Um, and I think, yeah, I was like also doing like some research on the side prior to the event. Um, and yeah, like I learned that there was this uh, a People's Congress that Du Bois and Robeson were a part of in the city of Chicago in 1951, which was a People's Congress for Peace, which you never hear about ever in any kind of histories. And um, I think they were saying that like around like 7,000 people attended at the time. And this was like during the Korean War. But yeah, it just felt really special to think about this event as part of restoring that um that legacy and that tradition and i think there was yeah i had a lot of thoughts from just listening to the panel especially and also the introductions at the beginning but i just wanted to highlight there was a question that someone from i think psl asked about what is the struggle like what kind of struggle should we be part of now and i think the response from both Doc and Minister Ishmael Muhammad was very in sync and I think says a lot, maybe even more than people realize, especially young people realize, because, you know, if you think about the kind of ideological, sociological, political terrain that we operate in, I think one of the things about American history, and this also, I guess, gets to what Nathan was saying, but one of the things about American history is that the avenues and the concrete manifestations of essentially revolutionary struggle are often unusual and unexpected, right? It's going to be something that you don't expect. I think that's also partially why 
people get surprised like, oh, why are all these Asians and Latinos the ones who are leading the charge to celebrate Paul Robeson? And it is unexpected. And that's what's beautiful about it because it speaks to something that is new and emerging. But just to, to get down into it more, I think the part of how I understand the purpose, the, even if you think about it in terms of political practice, the purpose of celebrating a figure like Robeson is that he becomes part of the life world of people again, the life world of all American people. And it reminds me of a quote from Baldwin where he says basically like, we've reached the end of one language and we're now in the business of forging a new language. And it's, it actually also reminded me of like that thing that Nathan was saying of like science, Du Bois or Robeson as a scientist and not just like an artist, but what he was doing when he was going around the world was not just performance, but also scientific inquiry. And I think that that's really important. And, but, but yeah, like this thing about like a new language is, also what Alice was saying, this business of forging new relations among people, because if you think about it in kind of yeah, political science terms, what we are living through right now in America is a crisis of legitimacy of the ruling class, which is also a crisis of the legitimacy of the ideas of the ruling class. But what are the tasks that arise from that kind of crisis? You know, if we think about it, like there's one way that you could interpret it where, yeah, if you're part of PSL or something, you say like, oh, like the task is to forge a new vanguard party and to then as part of that vanguard party to win the trust of the working class. But that's not the stage of history that we're living in right now. The task really is for the people themselves to, you know, if there's a bankruptcy of the, of the legitimacy of the ruling class, so the people no longer trust the ruling class, then the task becomes can the people trust themselves? Can the people build a new trust and a new relationship amongst themselves to become the people who can actually govern this country in a new way? This is what the struggle for democracy is. And what we're doing in the free school is essentially in our own way, and we're still figuring this out. We're still figuring out what kind of actual revolutionary practice this is. But what we are trying to do is not to be like, oh, we are the party and we're going to lead you guys. But no, like we're just trying to invite people into these kinds of spaces, into these kinds of dialogues, into also engaging with art and documentaries, all this stuff. But yeah, we're in the business of forging these new kinds of relations among people because we, yeah, we believe in the capacity of the American people as a whole to discover certain things in each other again, to rediscover their own capacity and yeah, like you also, like the purpose of having Robeson there is that, you know, there's so many people in the United States who come from so many different backgrounds, but it's like you bring people together into a space and through the figure of Robeson, who is essentially a figure of, the, of humanity, people discover new things in each other, right? P things that may not have been as clear if you didn't have that kind of anchor point of Robeson. You know, it's like Robeson creates the space for people to relate to each other in a new way to find, to discover also the best in themselves and the best in each other and in their respective, the civilizations and the cultures that they come from. Like whether it's like, yeah, like Mexico or Africa or the Soviet Union um, or yeah, the best of the United States as well in the black proletariat. I think that we are living in this, uh, yeah, like 
a new moment in American history and also humanity's history. And what we're trying to do is to, to meet the demands of that moment with the kind of political practice that is actually appropriate for it and not just trying to try things which um, may have been relevant or appropriate at one stage of history, but we're living in a new moment, so we're trying to meet that. Um, but yeah, that was just something else. No, that's exactly what I was thinking about because two things that that reminded me of, I think it was um, Minister Abel's wife, the woman with the hijab, the purple, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, who Minister Abel wasn't, well, Minister Abel was invited by Eddie and Eddie can speak more about Minister Abel because I wasn't able to, I don't know all the information, but he's a Mexican American or from Mexico, not sure, who is a part of the Nation of Islam as a minister. Um, and he had come to the event as well. His wife was present with him and he, I, I ended up talking to her at the end. Like, I was just like, everybody was still kind of like hanging back a little bit and like, you know, speaking with one another, which I also thought was important. A lot of times people want to leave right immediate or, you know, the speakers, they have other things to do or whatever. But Minister Ishmael had kind of hung back and was taking photos, shaking hands and like, you know, telling people what he was thinking about. And I thought that was really nice. And while they were doing that, I had just happened to talk to Minister Abel's wife about the upcoming event in June. 17th about the festival that you know this will be continuing in a lot of ways and that kind of thing and how she wanted to um she wanted to have the documentary show it she's a school teacher also so you know being in the school she thought that this documentary would be important for kids and she was saying that um she was actually thinking i don't know how we got to the topic about the question that you're just referring to jeremiah from the leftists um one from PSL, the other from Platypus. And she had said, yeah, Doc and Minister Ishmael took care of it. <laughs> she saw it as like a um, comment that was not normal or not you know, helpful for the larger conversation and uh, I guess information that was being received. And she knew that Doc took care of it well. And that's another thing about the level of consciousness of like people who were in the room with us. Um, the <coughs> anomalies were the people who were um, more leftist or from PSL. The you know people who were of the center uh, were the people who stood by Paul Robeson who felt very much a kinship <coughs> to all of which we were saying um, and supported Paul Robeson like everything um so i thought that was important but then um me and doc were like on the way home and this was after <coughs> reaching philadelphia that we were talking about free school and you know how i always think about with free school like i ha i think free school can do anything it wants to do the sky <laughs> is the limit because we are in the line of revolutionary tradition, we do not um, hinder to a fear or propaganda about 
uh, King or Robeson, and we stand upon the truth. So I think we can do everything <coughs> because of that. I'm always confident. I'm always pushing people to do more. Whatever. I think we can do a lot. So um, you know how I feel about the free school, and I always talk about how free school is central um, to this moment in history. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, Jeremiah, is a different um, almost, but like um, stepping stone to helping build um, a, <coughs> almost build back, um, but building in, a, in this moment in a new way, um, the power of the people um, to be able to struggle against imperialism in this time. It is building that. Um, and, you know, free school's relationship with the left or like groups like PSL is, or even the communist party or whatever, like is not like just because we're on the left that we like each other or just because we claim to be <clears throat> on the same side. Do we fight and stand for the same things? We clearly don't. Um, and what that means is that free school is ultimately run by the traditions of struggle of the people and is ultimately inherently tied to what we were talking about, like the grassroots, like what actually guides people, the people. Um, and so that relationship of the free school to the people of Chicago, to the people of Philadelphia, um, is something that I think about as being ultimately tied to our philosophy, our, you know, what we say and do every Saturday, um, because the struggle for ideas um, mm -hmm. and what you're saying, Jeremiah, mm -hmm. like what is the struggle for ideas and what Alice said, like the struggle um, for these new relationships, yeah. these <clears throat> built, and also seeing that ideas change people. Um, this is something that the free school has been saying that we were doing a lot for a long time. And just thinking about what that means um, for me also allows me to assume that we will have to, it's like a necessary to have to celebrate Paul Robeson and celebrate King. Um, and I think that allows us for more um, creative freedom being being as such that we're not tied to a certain dogma a certain mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. even a framework even around Du Bois like we're not thinking like oh Du Bois said this on page 25 that <laughs> we should though we quote him we're not thinking about him in terms of like a categorical like or a sort of like um, stagnant you know mm -hmm. idea static, static. yeah a static idea the ideas are relational mm -hmm. to King, to Robeson, and so forth. Yes, very um, interesting. And so the ideological, <clears throat> so I'm just thinking about free school in terms of its like development and what it is and what it's doing. And then also its ideological, uh, almost ramifications, but like it's synthesizing of Paul Robeson, King, um, you know, and as we go with Hegel and so forth like that. But all of that to um, recognize that knowing and learning, 
even about science, is developing the 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 language what you're saying, mm -hmm. um, and the ways to think through the uh, or think about the struggle that the people will have to ultimately take, and that we are also mm -hmm. waging, and so. I also wanted to add, um, well, at first I wanted to say congratulations and thanks to the people who organized it and then also put together the documentary. I also didn't get to go, but I got to watch and yeah, it was it was really incredible. But I just wanted to say that I, well, I agree with everything that's been said, but especially that this event was a historic contribution, a historic development, but also I see it as a historic correction because what's so interesting about the way that you guys are recounting the response to the event is how clear it is that Robeson is not dead. And in fact, the true Robeson, like the complete Robeson, is very much alive to some extent in the memory of all these people, but especially in their aspiration and in their desire to know. And the way that people responded to what you guys were saying about Robeson and sharing like through the documentary and the presentations and the discussions, um, it reminds me of the way that people respond to like great art or great music where it can never truly be erased because it's mere existence historically or like culturally advanced the world in a way that cannot be forgotten. Like it changed people and it lives on in people. And like I had started reading a little bit of Amiri Baraka again recently, and he talks about this idea a lot with blues and jazz because like jazz, the development of jazz in the 20th century, it's also interesting that it comes uh, like two or three centuries after these Africans or these, you know, these people from West Africa were first brought to America. But that knowledge or like that memory, that experience of rhythm or soul, like it's so imprinted on a people that centuries later it still exists. And I think that I also say the event was a historical like a, a historical and ideological correction because it's also very clear from what you guys are saying that Robeson should, like Robeson has been deliberately suppressed. And that's the only reason that he isn't more obviously alive in the fields of like art, politics, science, philosophy. Um, and that it's very in inorganic to natural people that like he isn't more alive. And I think, for example, this is what we see in the case of Philadelphia, um, because I know that the Paul Robeson house had put on that really like bizarre event for Paul Robeson's 125th birthday, where they were charging like almost a hundred dollars just to attend the musical performance for one. And then also like the panel as if it were a panel of experts that you had to pay to like access that knowledge or is completely removed from this idea of like respecting or seeing yourself as a part of the people. And yeah, and I think it makes sense that people didn't respond that well to that event because that was just the impression I got because before the event actually happened, they kept sending out emails that said, oh, now we're offering 50% off of like our $100 ticket and everything. Whereas the Chicago event, yeah, once again, it was a correction of all of this BS. Um, yeah, because um, I guess what I also wanted to say is the way that free school came back out to recover and restore the genuine and the complete Robeson and the way that so many people responded so positive, positively to it shows like, 
yeah, we are on, we are like on the ideological offensive in a way that is really restoring something that's very important because why doesn't that documentary of Robeson, which is not pushing any agenda except the agenda of truth and like the agenda of freedom, like why does that not exist? And it says a lot to me that so many people are saying like, yes, we want to know the complete Robeson, like because we love Robeson. Um, it reminds me of the way that people respond to a figure like Muhammad Ali or James Baldwin. And that's also why I think the way that we're also going to proclaim like James Baldwin led a magnificent life. Like this was the complete James Baldwin, the way we do for, yeah, I mean like so many of these um, unerasable greats of American history, like it's just really the revolutionary way forward. So yeah, the last thing I wanna say is that um, I just keep going back to the, to the 10th anniversary statement where all of this is a justification of how yeah, like there is a fourth American revolution coming. Like there is an American future and America is not backward. Like American history has has changed. It is developing. And like, here's the proof. And like that proof is still alive. Like it's still changing. Um, and it's still moving toward what is aspirational and what is possible. So yeah, yeah, I just wanted to say congrats to you, Neha, especially. That's... um. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was, that's really cool. <laughs> okay. Um, I actually wanted to uh, talk about, talk a little bit about Jeremiah's question. Uh, what I was thinking about like, in the moment was uh, the voices writing of Russia and America, where he, um, and I've been actually going through it recently again, and which is why a lot of these thoughts are sort of fresh in my head, where when you ask when that when the PSL person asks, them, what are we supposed to do in these times to be revolutionary? What are the revolutionary actions one can take? I was immediately reminded of the words writing about the Soviet Union and their emphasis on education. And I think that we as the free school are doing just that. We're trying to educate, and that was such, and that was something that the state of the Soviet Union was trying to do. And it's not an easy process; it's not a fast and quick uh, solution to anything. It takes time to build, to grow, and that's. And I think that that is sincerely what the Free School has been doing for the last eleven years, and will probably continue doing. And that's revolutionary, you know, that's a part of the revolutionary tradition that we're trying to uphold. Um, and I'm really glad that Serafina brought up King and you know, synthesizing Robson and King, because I don't think anybody has ever before said that, you know what, Paul Robson was the forerunner of the civil rights movement. I think that that was a revolutionary stance to take. I think to portray him as the beginning of it all, like a person who laid the groundwork for King and Malcolm to come and build on that. I think that hasn't been said before and it needed to go out there. And I think that the people in that audience 
responded very positively to that. They could accept it because it made sense, because he belongs there. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Shantanu, because I, when I was thinking a lot about the event and then even throughout our conversation, it made me think a lot about free school and our role, like over and over again, especially in relation to that question from the PSL member about, well, what do we do? Like, what's to be done? And like, I remembered this thing that people used to say in free school a lot. Um, where it's like free school is the teacher of teachers because there's something really I've really felt like that was a like it was something I felt a lot in that auditorium when we were watching the documentary and then throughout the panel discussion where um, yeah just this thing of like all those people multiple people saying I would love to screen this in my classrooms or we should screen this places but then also the way that people who attended the event go out even more confident and reaffirmed in what they need to spread. I feel like it's this thing of free school being the teacher of teachers, um, and which matches what you were saying, Shantanu, about education. Because I also think there's a way that people get, like, I feel like for some reason, especially among young people, like, I feel like maybe it's like the educated young people, but it's exemplified by like young leftists, like the PSL person, but, I think people sometimes get confused at the like the fact that we say, well, the primary struggle is the ideological struggle. It's the struggle of ideas. And there's something, and that's also why it's like, I was really stunned and I don't know why I was stunned, but it was just so stunning that in Chicago in particular, and in some ways I think it helps explain why Chicago as a city, the people of Chicago have been able to maintain something and protect their institutions in a way that maybe in Philly, it's been so like bogged down and destroyed, but it doesn't matter where you go, whether it's the DuSable Museum and you see the quotes by Margaret Burroughs on the walls, or you listen to Robeson in the documentary, or we when we went to the Harold Washington Library and saw the exhibit on the top floor celebrating Harold Washington, and there were quotes by Harold Washington. All of them, all especially Harold Washington and Margaret Burroughs, the huge, like all the quotes they had were about education and in particular youth and children about, I have a dedication to the truth because like I have a dedication to the truth and basically ideas, because if I can educate, if I can, my, my revolutionary task, it is perhaps the most revolutionary task, which is I need to make sure that the generations after me are armed with the truth. And like, there's this quote at the Margaret Burroughs, um, that Margaret Burroughs said that's on the walls of the Harold Washington Library, which I think a lot of us saw, where she said, what shall I tell my children who are black? I must find the truth of heritage for myself and pass it on to them. And years to come, I believe because I have armed them with the truth, my children and their children's children will venerate me for it is the truth that will make us free. And then even Harold Washington, he also has quotes about like throughout the whole exhibit at the Harold Washington Library about like Harold Washington's revolution in mayoralship and like how much he was venerated by the people. He always said he was like, there's this quote where he was like, today's readers are tomorrow's leaders. And, <laughs> and he was like, that's what I'm committed to. Like today's readers are tomorrow's leaders. And this library is going to be a palace for the children. 
it's gonna be and like you it does and it was amazing because like even my friend barbara who's from chicago like confirmed it and my friend barbara was like yeah i grew up in this library and i didn't even know who harold washington was like but i knew but i knew that this library was awesome you know like the marble this is a public library the marble the original jacob lawrence mosaic there's a literally a jacob lawrence mosaic that he made in particular called in memoriam of harold washington on the first floor of the library and there's art all over the place and it's just a beautiful place but harold washington had this quote which was i've got good teachers who are going to help me acquire wisdom my instructors are the people of the city of chicago every man woman and child in this city has something to teach me about how to be a good mayor and it's that spirit of like yeah, and it's just this thing of, yeah, it's just this thing of the truth, the importance of the truth, and that the revolutionary task is that of education and knowledge. And it just helped me clarify also free school, made me remember that thing about free school, that we see ourselves as the teacher of teachers. And at an event, I think it was really exemplified in Chicago where that documentary and the panel and even the musical performances, people walk away ready to be a teacher, <laughs> to be to disseminate and um, not just Robeson's legacy, but Ro Robeson's vision for the future, which is that a new humanity is already being born. A new world is already being born. And we just have to see it and never let go of our ability to imagine it. And like, I, I don't know if we already talked about the panel, but I also loved what you said, Doc, especially in conjunction with Minister Ishmael. Like it was really clarifying even for our June 17th festival in honor of Paul Robeson and the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. This thing of the Afro-Asiatic reconfiguration of the world, like a new humanity. And oh, sorry, I took some notes. Let me refer back to them. Yeah, like you said, Doc, you were like, we have an opportunity now to explain humanity in a way it's never been explained. On Robeson's philosophy, his science, on the minister, on Elijah Muhammad's science, like we have an ability to now explain humanity in a way it's never been explained. Um, but also this thing of, which I think is what we talked about earlier about that we know what the world should be. Like that's what Robeson was saying. We know what the world should be, that there are commonalities. And like, even the way you said, Doc, it was like beautiful. You're like, ironically, in our common exploitation, because like the world's people were exploited the way they were. Like in our common exploitation, we were brought together and we get to know each other now. And that there's now a great awakening um, like there hasn't been before. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think that helped also like, it made me really excited. I was like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is the free school's vision. Like when we say we're a teacher of teachers, not just Robeson, like his life that needs to be known, but also like his ideas, his vision for the future, which still stands like, let, like, I think people are going to walk out. People walked out of that auditorium ready, ready, ready to be a teacher of the oneness of humanity, ready to be a teacher of the of what the world should be and can be. Um, and I think the last thing I want to say was this thing of like you can see in Harold Washington and um, Margaret Burroughs, but also especially Robeson and um, through Ish through Minister Ishmael's words, but just this thing of that the people are the vanguard now. Like with this great awakening, it's the people who are the vanguard themselves. It's no longer a party or like a small group of people, but it's the people themselves are the vanguard. 
And um, yeah, it's the way Harold Washington was even like, he was like, I have great teachers. It is the men, women, and children of Chicago who have something to teach me about how to, what to like, of what it means to be a good mayor. And oh, I was gonna say, yeah, I guess I'll stop there. What you're reminding me also that Doc mentioned is that Paul Robeson achieved a level of consciousness, mm -hmm. like this new level of consciousness yeah. based upon his scientific understanding of the world. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's also like what you're saying, like Paul Robeson represented the world. Paul Robeson is the anchorage which everyone can attach themselves to and know themselves and know each other. Um, and it's interesting because the consciousness, the new awakening, right. like right. this kind of this idea about the awakening and then what Doc was talking about, about this new level of consciousness that happened because of the struggle for freedom and because of Paul Robeson's ultimate, like Nathan was saying, scientific contribution to our understanding of the world, like our moment, like the present. Um, and I think that's like the importance of science, like what the purpose is, is to advance our levels of understanding the world. So thus we can like this human advancement, like this whole thing is just important. Um, but the whole thing about Paul Robeson and his level of consciousness was important for me to interject into what you're saying, Emily, because that represents the new American like people um and when we're talking about like the fourth american revolution um that could be on you know the brink of coming or even because of how we reconcile like michelle was mentioning with the 10th anniversary the second american revolution the third american revolution and what that meant for the people um today who is the american people today right what do they think about and why yeah. that and so Paul Robeson's consciousness um, is ultimately tied to the people's consciousness today and is uh, like interwoven and linked. But it's just that this, this kind of overlay of like, you know, other dogmatisms or lies or propagandas or smears, whether that be about communism, um, a king, um, tearing down Paul Robeson actually means this uh, lack of being able to see who it is you are and being clear about who it is that you are. So the ideological struggle is ultimately, and it has to be paramount. Um, and it's- it has to be. Yeah, it's important. Mm -hmm. But this other thing that I wanted to mention in addition to education being um, a revolutionary process is this idea about knowledge itself um, and what, uh, you know, because in the 10th anniversary, knowledge and the recapturing of the, what was it? Revolutionary spirit for our time. For it's a revolutionary spirit for our time. So this one idea, like one, this idea about knowledge and what that means, because the free school also struggles for the truth. And that ultimately ties to how we understand and what we think about what our philosophy like the philosophy that we uncover and process and then synthesizing that with the historical basis of King, Robeson and Du Bois not only Du Bois in particular, not only as like a historical figure, but his contribution to knowledge itself. There was not sociology before Du Bois. So like me and Doc were just talking about 
because I actually, I was like walking home last <laughs> night and I'm like buzzing about everything. I'm like texting Emily. Emily's asleep and I know she's asleep. I'm just like, this is what Doc told me about the preschool and like what he was doing with Winston. And I was going home and then I wanted to listen <laughs> to the event again, even though I was just at the event. <laughs> and so I was here, I was like hearing through the introduction something that Minister Ishmael was saying. And I was like, no, wait, I just want to hear what Doc said. So I like woke up in the morning <laughs> and then I put the um, <laughs> event back on. <laughs> like to anybody else, I'm crazy, but to y'all, I'm normal, so I'm okay. Yeah, right. So anyway, um, I woke up and I was hearing again, you know, just to refresh, uh, I guess, <laughs> what Doc was saying, and it got me to reading Galileo Galilei, yeah. which is, is something that I haven't read in, in a while, but I was reading it, and this is also a essay now, it's now an essay, but it was prior, as uh, something that, a speech written for graduates out of Fisk University, right. and it's so special because Du Bois writes this for students graduating, and it's a question about what they would do with what they know, what they've studied, um, what is the purpose in um, their work. And he goes right to Galileo Galilei. He's like, well, here's an example of a man who found a reality about the truth of the world, and he had to decide what he wanted to do mm -hmm. with that information mm -hmm. for his life mm -hmm. and be mm -hmm. put upon trial literally trial um just to, to and and that test was like a test about will he stand for this truth or will he be ravaged and torn apart by the reality that truth is also something that ruling the powers that be are afraid of because that means that um, the rule cannot rule in the same way. Um, and so rereading his story, it got me, can I read the paragraph that I was reading Please, earlier? Okay. Because it's, it was just, it was, a, it was talking about how he comes out at a certain moment in time. And this is after um, Du Bois mentions how he was born and historically contextualizes him. And it says that, um, so in Galileo's life, I want to turn to three things. What was the impulse that gave him power to do? What were the obstacles he encountered? And how did he surmount them? So he says that the impulse was a new vision of the world. From the time of Dante in the 13th up to the blossoming of Petrarch in the 15th century, Italy had been seeing life anew. Galileo was a child of this awakening. The impulse behind him was the wonder of an open mind at the mechanism of the universe. Two things in the world are ever miraculous, thought and motion. Hmm. After, the, after the death of the dark age, the European world awoke in the Italian Renaissance to a sense of the wonders of human thought, their own keen speculation, and the marvels of the rediscovered thought of the ancient world. Then, imperceptibly, the things thought of 
displaced the thought of thinking <laughs> and motion, form, movement, held the attention of men and the genius of Galileo. Something of the same thing has happened in our day. The schools have long studied human thought in literature, logic, and speculation. Today has come attention to the more neglected wonders of the things around us and the technique of the world. With eye and imagination, thus fixed on the mystery of motion in falling body and whirling earth and moving star, Galileo started to know, to observe, to prove, to dream. I just wanted to highlight that section because like we hear the I have a dream speech with Martin Luther King, but, like how is he able to see a new America? Like we like this idea about being able to envision um, or to dream something all happens because it is like, you have to believe in the future. You have to know that there's like you're struggling towards something. That whole conversation about science, the whole conversation about like the movement itself, like for what do we do things? Philosophy, like for what do we discover? And I just think that when he, like not only is Du Bois talking to a new generation of teachers um, and scientists who will have the task in front of them to wonder about the mysteries of the universe and discover something new, something that will help humanity grow and change into something that it should be or maybe already is in a lot of ways. Yeah. Is that with like the even it made sense, like it clicked to me about the whole thing about love being a sword that heals. Mm. You know, like these concepts that we're speaking about with King happen to actualize itself because when we know what love is capable of or when we know what the motion of the like earth means for us as human beings to understand ourselves that is the power that the, that undergirds people that is the power that i feel like i felt yeah, yeah. in the theater this very significant and beautiful theater um and that almost you know people didn't even know would be made but even like the beauty of the of the um harold washington library why from whence do these things come right what manner of man made pain and so on like what is it that empowers not only us in free school um, but the people who will build society. Mm -hmm. um, like when we talk about Derek or even like when we see Munchie or when we see um, Ransom, like, like we explained before, Derek was always reading philosophy regardless of what, you know, um, he was, is a search. Um, or even with jazz, 
like it's that search you don't know it until you try it and then you do it and then you get somewhere that you weren't there before you can only do that with that this opening up this broadening of knowledge for the availability the possibilities the to be able to make things possible you have to it's like it's like with the truth wielded with the truth are things more possible than with than with wielded with a lie or with wielded with slavery you know what i mean like galileo was up against the church mm-hmm. the church like i don't know if they writ this for him to say that he will never speak again about the motions of the universe um but it wasn't written by him because he didn't believe it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it was them that also wanted to control the truth but the truth is also what it what makes it like we can't ignore the fact that there is motion like that contribution to society has been made people heard him like and people know now like people can't go back from galileo like you know or even copernic like all this other things are bringing up like even if these people had in life in their lifetime like um du bois was saying he wanted to lay um with the thankfulness of the church you know he still wanted to be a part of society and not be burned at the stake because he stood for the truth he just wanted to not be an old man who's blind and forgotten by his people at the time. He didn't know about the eternal. He didn't know about us now talking about him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't mm-hmm. thinking about that. Mm-hmm. He was thinking, mm-hmm. which is another important point that Brother Ishmael made, live for the future and you will live eternally and all yeah, these other yeah, things. Yeah. But the whole point is that with the truth, like the power of the truth actually sets a whole new era, a whole new, um, uh, yeah, a whole new era. Um, in which that people will grow from and do anything by, whether that be science or philosophy. Um, I just, is it okay if I just add one small thing? Um, Well, because I've, what I've been thinking about as people were talking, especially Emily and Serafina is that I feel like when I first became part of free school, I was kind of scared by the word ideological struggle because it um, connotes certain things like images of like cultural revolution type stuff, you know, that kind of thing, right? And I feel like what I've come to learn and realize over time, and this is also related to like how we conceptualize and understand what education is as well. Like what is the ideological struggle? What is education? And part of how I've come to understand it over time is that when we say ideological struggle, it's not like this kind of sectarian thing where it's like, our group is right, your group is wrong, like yada, 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 right? But it's more, it's like almost the way that I understand it is that to speak of the ideological struggle is to make the case that like the most important questions of philosophy and of the future, that these become increasingly the terrain and the property of the people to decide. And this is also why it's like when we talk about the ideological struggle, it is also exactly the struggle for democracy, 
for the people to decide like what are the ideas that will shape the future. And I think the other thing about education that I was thinking about is um, like it reminded me of like when I first came into contact with the Nation of Islam through the free school, I didn't understand and didn't really appreciate why they use this term student minister. And I think how I understand it now is like, oh, like I'm a student in the classroom of God. Like they always say that. I think that's something that Minister Rodney said, but it changes your view of what education is, right? Because, when, yeah, like when you talk like, and I think Minister Ishmael said this too, like after Doc also responded to that PSL question, but yeah, like the ideological struggle is also in a very concrete sense, like what the nation of Islam has been doing. How do you save like a generation of black people who have withstood the most ruthless assault by this ruling class, not just materially, but also psychologically and spiritually and politically, right? How do you actually save people who have been basically led into prisons, into drug, drug abuse and all of these things? Like how do you actually save the human being and forge a new human being out of that? Like that is also the ideological struggle. That is also what education means. And in a, yeah, if you blow it out to a larger sense, like, yeah, when we talk about education and ideological struggle, it's like, yeah, like, I feel like we have a lot to learn from institutions and movements like the Nation of Islam in terms of how they conceptualize what education is in terms of saving the human being and forging a new one, but also how does that ultimately relate to, yeah, like saving this country and redeeming this country and forging a new country. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know if I fully figured it out yet in my own mind, but yeah, like it also, for me, like when we talk about the ideological struggle, it's not a sectarian thing, but it is ultimately the question of democracy. Can the people in a time when like after a period of, yeah, the most like, yeah, ruthless ideological assaults by the ruling class, like the American people have been gone through all of this since the civil rights period. Um, yeah, can the people themselves come together and decide like, what are the ideas that will shape the future? And the last thing that actually, this is not super related, but the last thing that I was thinking of is um, like this whole thing about like language and linguistics, it occurred to me that um, like, you know, people like Gerald Horn, for instance, they try to pit Robeson and Du Bois against King, you know? And they tried to say that Robeson and Du Bois were like the true radicals and that King was like the accommodationist who basically like, I think Donkey said this, who like filled the vacuum that was left by the McCarthyite period and the attacks against Du Bois and King or Du Bois and Robeson. But actually, if you think about it, like one, that's also wrong because Robeson like literally writes and he's like seeing the civil rights movement unfold and he is greeting it with open arms and is trying to also provide like, um, I guess guidance, but as I think someone said, yeah, he was like a forerunner to the civil rights movement, but like even scientifically or like linguistically, like there's no way that you can make sense of something like someone like King taking these words of Ahimsa and Satyagraha. It's like, when you look at it through the lens of Robeson, it takes on a whole new dimension because it's like, it's not just like, those aren't just like, 
I guess they are political concepts and spiritual concepts, but it's also, you can look at it as almost like a linguistic thing where like the best of like a language that has been produced and shaped through the Indian freedom struggle becomes part of the actual language and the life world of black people. And this then becomes like a, a tool that they use literally to like transform this country and to free themselves. And like, I've never thought about it in that way, but I feel like Robeson opens up the avenues for, that's also like an Afro-Asiatic thing, but yeah, like a new language being developed that is pulled from, yeah, also like India from Asia. And I think we're also in a moment today when, yeah, like those kinds of things become more possible. Um, but yeah. I just wanted to say something. It was, you know, it was in Chicago. And, you know, Chicago is a city founded by a man named Jean-Baptiste Du Sable, a Haitian, Black Haitian, uh, who founded the city of Chicago. And in many ways, the city of Chicago, uh, as we know it, as a center of struggle, owes a great deal to the black proletariat. Uh, but I, you know, so all of that Chicago and this event, uh, but really uh, Neha and Magna, your work, tireless, beautiful work uh, has to be congratulated. And it is a contribution. Uh, I don't know if you will fully recognize it yet but it was a, it's a contribution to the development of the American people. And I, I guess, you know, one of the things that, and of course the documentary, uh, I had no idea that it was going to be this. It was politically, and, this, and Porba, this is what you were kept talking about, politically the most accurate and politically the most advanced docu uh, documentary. And that is what uh, is so important. It does not compromise with lies mm -hmm. and distortions about Robeson. And then the way you put in at the end, Harry Belafonte talking about his last visit, mm -hmm. that Robeson's body was getting weak but his spirit and his mind was still the same. I, I felt, and everyone there was moved by this documentary, even many people to tears. And I have to say one of, one of the most moving moments among many moving moments on that evening, Neha, was your introduction. And when you for a moment became overcome with emotion, I guess recognizing the magnitude of what was upon all of us, but you in particular, Magna, who had been in the vanguard of putting this together. And in a very dignified way, you stepped back from the podium <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. composed yourself. And it was such, it was done with such elegance and beauty knowing black folk, I know how they saw that. And they said to themselves, oh, we can trust this event 
we can trust this young woman, even though she doesn't sound like we sound in Chicago, you know? She's speaking with an accent from a different country. But this woman feels what we feel and understands what we understand. That was a very beautiful gesture and it was not a performance, it was you. And we all knew it was you. And it was so wonderful. But uh, I, you know, uh, just uh, Margaret Barrows, of, of course, Chicago. You know, you can't go to Chicago and not understand that the DuSable Museum is a result of a great struggle, a great ideological struggle connected to people like Robeson and Henry Winston. Uh, that's why having them in this documentary, having Henry Winston, who was uh, an, a, a, a comrade with, um, with uh, Margaret Barrows. Margaret Barrows never uh, compromised about her politics. That's why, she all, that's why she says, when I face a crisis, I always think of what Paul Robeson would do, which is her way of saying, how would a revolutionary man of Paul Robeson's stature make a moral political decision? And I wanna say another thing, the fact that you all saw this, and I agree with you, Jerry, not in these narrow left political framing of things, but the broad moral question of humanity. It was, it was a great documentary. And I think uh, for the June 17th, I think we've extended it to June 16th so we could show the documentary the evening before. But uh, I just want to address another question. The young man from um, Platypus, uh, whom I think I met when I was at the Platypus convention uh, uh, two years ago uh, or a year ago, and um, he's, he's a citizen of the People's Republic of China and a graduate student at the I think a graduate student at the University of Chicago School of Business. Um, he's a very bright person, uh, but he asked the question, Norman Finkelstein said at the Platypus Convention that what led to Paul Robeson's emotional breakdown was uh, Nikita Khrushchev's speech uh, in 1956 attacking Stalin. Well, <laughs> it is that kind of trivialization of Robeson um, that, that first of all is infused uh, with a lot of white supremacist notions. What I wanna say is, you know, Paul Robeson's father was a slave. He was raised without his mother. His mother died in a fire in the house. He, uh, nothing was easy for him. 
uh, hearing what Nikita Khrushchev said about Stalin, that was enough. That was not enough to break a man of this power and strength. Believe me. Um, you know, I have some, you know, kind of knowledge of people who were very close to Robeson, like Henry Winston, like William L. Patterson, like uh, Esther Cooper Jackson, Jim Jackson, others. You know, let me tell you, if Nikita Khrushchev's speech didn't break them, it was not going to break Paul Robeson. The commitment was too deep, too large, and too much committed to a truth larger than Nikita Khrushchev. That did not happen. Uh, now, if Norman Finkelstein or Martin Duberman, where that first appeared in Martin Duberman's biography of Robeson in 1989, uh, if that's what they want to believe, maybe that's what is comfortable for them, but they don't understand Black people. Black people are not deterred by things like that. We know advances, we know setbacks. That's the history of our struggle in this country. That is not what uh, led to Robeson's emotional breakdown. You know, Du Bois used to say to Robeson, you know, take it, you know, don't go so hard. Don't take all of this on yourself. But Robeson couldn't be any other way. And when he saw the forces of nuclear war, of U.S. imperialism, he went in even harder. I mean, he fought against this threat of U.S. imperialism harder than he even fought against uh, joining the anti-Hitler coalition. And what occurred, as far as I can uh, gather, is emotional exhaustion. Um, and that's what it was, of a man who felt so morally committed that he that he must be, as it were, a vanguard of the vanguard. That's why, and parenthetically, the, the, the subsequent question of was it the Communist Party that, I don't know, that saved Robeson or helped? Or, no, no, it wasn't that way. And I was a member of the Communist Party. That's not the way things were. Robeson made, created a context for the Communist Party to operate. I don't know that that makes sense the way I'm putting it. But no, he was not, you know, this, which that question assumes um, that Robeson was uh how would you put it, uh, uh, the tool of Stalin or the Soviet Union or of the Communist Party, that he was getting instructions secretly from the Communist Party. Well, <laughs> I can tell you, that's the biggest crock of shit ever put out there. But that's 
what people like Norman Finkelstein are comfortable with. Now, Finkelstein, who was a wild Maoist in his youth, uh, also talks about uh, all of these uh, white Maoists, and they were Maoists really because they were anti-Soviet, with the arrest of the Gang of Four, that is that group that were at the helm of the Cultural Revolution in China, when they were arrested, suddenly people like Bettelheim and I don't know the others, but many associated with, um, with Monthly Review magazine uh, had mental breakdowns. Oh, what do we do now? What are, you know, all of this. <laughs> That's not black people. I can assure you of this. Uh, there have been many disappointments and setbacks in our struggle. The assassination of Martin Luther King was one of the great ones. Um, it didn't break us. And it didn't break Robeson. That is not true. And I think that Platypus has to be careful really care and really responsible politically and morally responsible in how they allow people quote authorities to present the live the lives of people like Paul Robeson Norman Finkelstein knows very little about Paul Robeson. And I would suggest to him that he keeps his mouth shut until he's able to learn better. His arrogance is his greatest problem. You talk too much about what you know hardly anything about. But that's that this thing of the left is dead thing that Platypus keeps saying. Well, is Paul Robeson dead? If Paul Robeson lives, then is the left, quote, left, what left are you talking? Are you talking about white people? Or are you talking about Chicago and what we saw and what we know? The black proletariat, the decisive part of the proletariat that lifted Robeson up and was lifted up by Paul Robeson. I mean, it's just such a barren and empty uh, sense of black folk. And um, I, I don't wanna say more about it. It's, it's so demeaning, but I guess, you know, as a black person, we're accustomed to that patronizing of us you know okay you you use the name of Robeson and you talk about his coming under attack by uh, the government and all of that and how he stood up yeah but there was more to it he was a great scientist this you will never acknowledge because all great thought has to be white you know, yeah, they can deal with, quote, victimization of black people, 
but the full magnitude of black folk. And, I, and the other thing, everybody is so right. You know, Chicago welcomed the free school. I mean, it was very moving and all of the stories and the 125, 150 people that came out, there should have been more, but of course, there's a conscious boycott of the quote left, uh, whatever they are, uh, and I think they, they, in every instance of this type, expose how separate they are from the great mass of people. Uh, the so-called democratic socialists, I would even uh, render a profound crit critique and condemnation of, of the Communist Party, which has the name but not the essence. Uh, you should have been there. If ordinary working class black folk, and that's what they were, you could tell by the way they looked, by the way they dressed, by the way they talked. If they could find their way to this event, why weren't you there? And I would say in a lot of ways, history is not going to forget your betrayal of the great Paul Robeson. As you, as you have betrayed W.E.B. Du Bois while still trying to use their name to give you some authenticity, but you're not in their spirit, you're not in the line of march that they forged. The other thing, and um, of course, you know, Meghna, who uh, again is a you know, very passionate woman, uh, she took great exception to that young woman's question that, uh, well, Aslanda Good Robeson, Robeson's wife, she was an anthropologist and what did she study? That's a great question, but it was inappropriate for that time because the intent of the question was not to discover Aslanda good Robeson, but one to separate Islanda from Paul. That's number one. And in the process to demean and trivialize Paul Robeson and suggest that to talk about his 125th birthday was to take away from Islanda and to elevate a male supremacist, by the way, which is in Duberman's biography, so-called biography of Paul Robeson. Um, and Magna is the one who said, and, and you know, I always love talking with Magna. And she said, why, what a, why is there a project to always put black men down? to always put them down. They're never good enough, but it's a double standard. They can talk about Adorno till the cows come home. They never ask, well, who was his wife? Or they can talk about Karl Marx. They never talk about Jenny Marx. And it's not a question. But when it comes to Paul Robeson, you cannot talk about him without 
saying, well, uh, why aren't you talking about Islanda Good Robeson? Well, in fact, in talking about Paul Robeson, we're talking about a political relationship, which was also a marriage, uh, which they don't understand. Um, I just, you know, uh, Paul Robeson's emotional breakdown, and he, it did occur. And then his isolation in his sister's house in West Philadelphia. Now, of course, I'm proud that Paul Robeson spent his last decade in Philadelphia. However, and, and Purba and I talked about this, and I mentioned it a little bit at the uh, panel. Paul Robeson didn't need to be isolated, in fact, imprisoned in his sister's house in West Philadelphia, where his bedroom was the size of a child's bedroom. Paul Robeson was a very large man, six foot five, weighing over 250 pounds. He did not need to be cut off from his friends, his colleagues, his comrades. I am certain that at times he felt despair. Well, doesn't Winnie, doesn't Henry Winston think of me anymore? Doesn't uh, William L. Patterson, why, do I, why am I not hearing from them? Well, that was the work of his son. And thus, this thing where they're going to clean Paul Robeson's uh, image up, that, uh, you, and, and, and it's so beautiful, Purbanea and all the rest of y'all, what you did with Paul Robeson receiving the Stalin Peace Prize, hugely significant. And Paul Robeson's gracious acceptance of it. Well, there are people who want Paul Robeson to be reduced to a mere liberal or at best a social democrat and not a revolutionary. To cut Robeson off from the world is also a way of cutting him off from the future of black people. Right. You know, and then, I mean, you know, the young person who was at the platypus convention, and that's where the question came from. And I'm so sorry I didn't have a chance to, you know, to talk with him a little bit more, you know, because he's from China. He don't know this history. So he has to rely upon people that he thinks know. And I would, and of course, when I, I answered the question about Finkelstein saying that, I said, that's not true. And I don't know whether I, I forget if I said anything else. However, here is the test of the honesty and sincerity and political outlook of the free school. When you are embraced 
by ordinary black folk. You know, black folk are very sensitive and they look and they listen, they look at gestures, you know? They don't easily embrace anything these days. Mm. When the people at DuSable saw what you all had produced, I mean, you know, there were many people driven to tears there. The director of it, the woman was overcome with joy that such an event occurred at DuSable, which meant that there was not a Paul Robeson event at DuSable for his 125th birthday before this one. Do you understand what I'm saying? It didn't occur, or to put it another way, it didn't occur to a lot of people that Paul Robeson is worth celebrating, is worth studying, is worth acknowledging. Believe me, left, left Communist Party, social, DSA, all the rest of y'all, you can, like the young man from uh, PSL, well, what do we do now? Well, you're not interested in what we do now. That wasn't the intent, because I talked to him afterwards. And he admitted I was trying to be provocative. I said provocative at the expense of learning and provocative in, in, a, in a, uh, an assemblage of mainly African-American working people from Chicago. This is how you act. In a semblance of work, well, that's the way they act because they have utter contempt for black working people. Do, do you, you see where I'm coming from? So the question wasn't really, what do we do? It's to, I guess he called himself shaming and discrediting us. We're just talking about Paul Robeson and he or she or they, whatever he wants to identify himself as, He's a person interested, or she, whatever, is interested in action. But action that leads to what? Right. And, but you know, but anyway, I just want to say one other thing. Meeting um, Minister Abel Mohammed, who Eddie and Nathan had told me about, where does such a more beautiful man exist? Humble, sincere, a beautiful, wonderful wife. You know what I'm saying? And then to meet Minister Ishmael, who I had always seen in pictures and known from afar, and to meet him, and I, I said to him, that I always wanted to meet you, not so much because of your father, but because I've studied your mother's writings, Mother Tainetta Mohammed. And she's a, a thinker and a philosopher and theologian in her own right. She's passed on. And it turns out that Minister Abel Mohammed's wife was the assistant to to uh, Mother Tynetta. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, it was, it was just 
too much to see people become friends who didn't know each other. And suddenly, trust breaks out, love breaks out all over the place. But uh, I guess the last thing, I'm, we, we have a lot of work to do. And this, this is what Purva says, we have a lot of work to do to educate young, these young people, most of whom have gone to these no good universities. Uh, they know nothing. And that, that which they think they know is a complete distortion. And, and really, I, I don't know who to say it to in Platypus. Um, they have a lot of house cleaning to do. They have to take responsibility for people that they invite and make statements like Finkelstein made. They have to take responsibility for that. It's not just a thing of, oh, everybody's expressed an opinion. I'm not interested in every, well, if you're gonna let him express an opinion, have somebody else to express a different point of view. They have to take responsibility for what they are giving birth to. This is not, uh, how would I put it? This is a deep moral question. If you consider yourself to be educating the people, what are you teaching and what are your values? Finkelstein attacked the great Paul Robeson. He lied about the great Paul Robeson's character and strength. That was a, a lie. And then the subsequent lie, that to, which, which suggests, and if you say it to Finkelstein, and I, I, I'd like to go, you know, we, he and I could go head to head, you know, all that old talk and all that old pot, it don't mean nothing to me. Cats like him, that's, as you know, as they say in the street, that's light work. Dude like him, that's that's nothing. To suggest that he was getting orders from the leadership of the Communist Party, by which they mean Gus Hall, a white person. That's what they're saying. Do you realize? Well, that's what they said about every black leader of the communist party including henry winston oh they can't think they don't know this white people somewhere in the world are telling them what to say i don't know how i i'm forgive me if it's sounds hyperbolic this is a crime against Paul Robeson, and hence a crime against the African-American people. You talk about Paul Robeson that way, how are you gonna talk about ordinary black folk? What do you think of the rest of us? He, as Robeson said, I am a product of my people's struggle. And, you know, don't hide behind uh, some queer identity. Your queer identity means very little in the world that is coming into existence. 
don't be don't hide behind your academic feminism. You 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 y'all dig where I'm coming from, and just my la my last point. You know, in a in a in a situation that was so moving, where people are moved to tears. I mean, I was I I held myself back. <laughs> Naya, you almost brought me to tears. You know, I it's just, and then the document. None of that meant anything to them. If that didn't mean anything to you, I don't mean anything to you. How Washington, the DuSable Museum, none of that means anything to you. Let's keep it real. None of that means anything to you, you narcissist, you petty bourgeois, selfish egotist. That's what it is. We don't mean anything. And that's, I don't know how else to put it. And, and to the young man from China, you know, um, you're losing your soul. You're not getting closer to becoming a Chinese man. You're becoming a little puppy dog for white people. And that's part of the, the crisis of Asian men in white America. They sacrifice being a man in order to be comfortable and acceptable to white men. And white men understand it clearly. <laughs> And the, yeah, but that's what I would say to the young Chinese man. You just, come on, man, leave that. That's bullshit, you know? Uh, but I'll, let me stop here. Can I say something, Doc? I think I think for the this, this thing about erasing Paul Robeson, you know, this concerted, if Harry Belafonte talks about it, and that clip we had in the documentary, Bayard Rustin connects the assassination of King and the destruction of the personality of Paul Robeson, you know, to, and you know, from there on, starting from that point, it's, it's a straight line to the ideological moorings of Platypus and PSL. Because, you know, Robeson, you know, he says in his own words that I'm attracted to socialism because I love the people. I'm rooted in the people and I believe socialism is the path to the broadest measure of justice for the people. If it was something else, he would be for that. But mm -hmm. socialism, he says, you know, the hope is new China. The hope is the Soviet Union. That's right. But can I just say one? Yes. I, I just, I, I, you know, see, a lot of people want, see, ropes and would have fared better in the Soviet Union. Yeah. You know, where he could have lived a life and recovered his strength, his emotional strength. He could have gotten fresh air. You ain't getting no fresh air 51st and Walnut, I can tell you that. He would have been able to travel to go to concerts, you know, because he loved opera, he loved music, he loved fun. He could have continued his studies with the assistance of other researchers. 
Why was he imprisoned in West Philly? And then to make it look like, oh, he had retired and and really to make it look like the world had turned its back on Robeson. And that's not true. That is not true. The world never turned its back on Robeson. His son and others cut him off from the world. And, and it is totally appropriate that in the interest of our people and the world's people that we reclaim this great thinker, this great fighter for freedom. We, and you all did it. I mean, that documentary, the speeches, the impact that it had upon the nation of Islam and will continue to resonate because the nation of Islam is a very powerful, highly disciplined organization. Minister Ishmael, will transmit this. They will show the documentary. Um, it, it, yeah, so, so yeah, let me, I'm sorry to talk so much sometimes. No, no, dog, that's the thing. When we didn't know what we had, <laughs> I don't think we knew what, what we had, but then it became a thing of its own. And we realized it, we realized it only like when, you, I, we didn't have the sense when we were watching it ourselves. We only know it now, <laughs> which is which is which in itself is blowing my mind. But I also wanted to say that you know it clarified to me that you can directly connect the erasure of people like Du Bois and Robeson to the crisis of these young people who ask these questions at such a moving event. This is why they are at that place because you know the leaders, the people we could look up to, who would show us with their life as an example, what it means to be a revolutionary, were taken from us. And then if they, people were not even satisfied by taking them from us, they had to be vilified and cut down and destroyed, their personalities destroyed, their characters destroyed. So, you know, you have no, no chance of looking up to the, you know, the, this great, this magnitude of this person like Paul Robeson. And, you know, this thing of, oh, I'm, I'm I, I'm I'm the left. I'm I'm a communist. I'm rooted in the theori theoretical formulations of Marx and Engels, but I know nothing about the people. That's on its head. It makes no sense. That's not Paul Robeson. If you want to be on the left, you should follow the model of Paul Robeson. You know, who started with the people and then he went and he searched what makes most sense. You know, for the people of the world, and. Then he said, okay, socialism, that makes, that's the, that's the path to the broadest measure of justice. But then if you start from, you know, communism, like I have to be a pure communist as your starting point um, on the left, then you get nowhere because you have no idea about the people. You're not rooted in the people. And that's why you don't know Paul Robeson. That's why you're, after three hours of an event where we are talking about the definition of a revolutionary man, you ask questions about, okay, you know, what is revolutionary? <laughs> this, what you have been watching, that is revolutionary. You know, this is what our inheritance should have been. This is the model upon which our life should have been built. But the ruling class took that away. I would just like to add um, on this note that it really showcases the ideological confusion the ideological insincerity when 
this person from platypus you know asked that um like he suggested that the that paul robeson needed the communist party and not the other way around that the communist party did not need paul robeson that you that without the communist party that there would be no paul robeson <laughs> now that ties into what Pura was saying when you have this when you have the paul robeson model of thinking and you go from the bottom up rather than looking from top down when you look top down that's what you think that's what you think that oh uh, paul robeson needed the communist party whereas that is absolutely on its head as purva said when you don't look at it from that perspective everything becomes confusing mm-hmm. when you look top down the tree looks like a straight line when you look uh from the bottom up you'll see all the branches yeah that's this what i wanted to add yeah i was really i found the questions really interesting because also after the first question that really was not a question it was a statement <laughs> like cloaked as a question um about Aslanda Robeson oh but what about Aslanda like we heard like i just it's like she she said it she said she was like we hear a lot about male revolutionaries but what about their wives she said that and so it was a statement it's not a question and but then there was a, immediately after you actually had an older black gentleman who the, what he immediately wanted to say was thank you <laughs> the difference to me was really stark where he was like all i wanted he's like oh i actually don't have a question i just want to say thank you <laughs> he's like i just want to say thank you because this was such an important event and then he said he was like yeah you reminded me that i think he was like yeah actually this is where robeson spoke at this place and so it's hollow grounds he was like this is hallowed grounds this is like these are what's oh, how do you describe hallowed like yeah these are like basically in some ways these are religious grounds like precious grounds where hero once walked and he well, he was also saying was he was like we as a people of chicago were part of this history we have we carry something and like you remind and he was basically like thank you for reminding me of reminding everyone showing everyone of what we've always had and we need to carry forward and yeah and then you had the question from the person from PSL and the question from the chinese um young gentleman from platypus and to me it really showed i was just like yeah this is in some ways a conversation we've been having for a few months now which is i really feel like there is a crisis of universities there's a crisis of people who go to universities and when and you end up basically being like you take in some and i don't know if it's a collusion of professors and organizations that are recruiting from college campuses or what but it is it is essentially whether you want to call it trotskyism or what there's a white supremacist notion being taught which tells you that like black people like you said black people are victims they're not they don't contribute to scientific human achievements they have not and that they don't carry authority like i just think i think that's a fact actually um because i remember 
I just remember, and like, I also remember like in free school, we had this conversation once about Lenin and Du Bois, but that people even said like, I think it was Brandon who was like, oh yeah, I'll never forget when Ho Chi Minh said that he cried when he saw that Lenin said, what I'm realizing is that like, we have to address the colonial thesis to say basically, basically this thing of if like similar to how Robeson was like, I come from the standpoint of the people and human freedom. And that has driven me to realize like that I will never go against the Soviet Union. I will never go against the anti-colonial movements. I will never go against the Bandung Conference, but instead it's the opposite. It's showing me that these anti-colonial movements hand in hand with the Soviet Union and a burgeoning social, like socialist movement, whatever you want to call it, that this is the future. This is showing a birth of a new humanity, one that can be free. Like similar to that, it's like, I feel like that is the Lenin that people also forget. The Lenin that was like, oh yeah, I am the father of the Russian revolution. Like the, this father of the Russian revolution who saw the, in the future, who saw when he saw the future, he saw the anti-colonial movements. And yeah, it's just showing, I feel like it was to me, I was looking because all those young people asking those questions, I was like, yeah, you're pretty familiar to me actually. because. <laughs> I went to Cornell and I think looking and in some ways it made me it's all of this has made me really reflect on my own experience because I don't really think I completely understood what was going on when I was witnessing certain things happening at Cornell and I just think there's something really even deeply I think there's something really sinister about um prestigious universities and cities in particular big cities with political forces, histories of political forces, counter-revolutionary forces. And yeah, and I just think to myself, like I remember when I was at Cornell, the thing that really changed my life, and I wonder if other people felt it too, was when we read Grace Lee Boggs. And she said, she basically was like, it's Grace Lee Boggs writing in her autobiography. Cause I read her being excited that I was like, oh, it's an Asian woman who ended up in the black movement. <laughs> And then when Gracie Boggs said she was like, like when she said she was like, I realized that Jimmy Boggs and these factory black factory workers showed me more about revolution than CLR James, like basically the whole Trotsky socialist movement. She was like, I got something like Jimmy taught me that you can find something in the poetry of Count A. Cullen that you can't find like in the basically, I guess, what her perception of the left or even though she was in the left, but. Yeah, but then also the way she was like, it's her writing her autobiography at the end of her life, where she said she was like, you need to, most of her book is focused on King in the civil rights movement. And there's a primary chapter at the heart of her autobiography that says from um, protest to revolution, where she basically explains what's wrong with simply like this left notion of like protest is enough in and of itself. And she basically makes the argument for ideological struggle and how King nonviolence was this philosophic invention, scientific invention that like is necessary for the future America. But anyways, this is me also reflecting out loud right now, just saying that I was thinking, trying to think about myself like in university and just being like, yeah, it's so different. Like I think young people, like it's sad that I think young people really seek out a real education. That's the whole point of going to college. You're supposed to actually get the tools to understand yourself in the world, through the world. And I think there's something really wrong with when kids go to college now. Yeah, actually, 
what you said makes me think a lot um, about the university because there's essentially two assumptions for people who go into these universities and come out. One is the arrogance, the, the, the belief that you come out of these universities knowing everything when in fact you don't. Um, instead, you're taught the opposite. And then two is also like removal from actual ordinary like human beings. Um, and that really stunts people's growth. Like during coming out, and it was shown in the event, um, I was gonna say this weekend, but it's weekend right now, but uh, this event's on Thursday. Because one, it's like, instead of actually engaging with what we were saying, it was, oh wait, actually, no, I already know. Like I come in already knowing everything. And therefore it's not to like, oh, like what was actually being taught? Like, how can I learn? How do I actually engage? But instead it's to put down or to be like, oh no, like you guys don't know, I know. And then the other piece is like the unhuman, like the lack of like human, like just natural human being like qualities, which is like the excitement and um, like to be in a room, like the ideas, but also the ideas in living in practice of like the people who you're next to, like how are they responding? How like listening to where they're coming from as well. Um, but there's a removal because when you're in school, you're taught to, or like everything around you removes you from actual regular, like ordinary human beings. Um, and what Doc, you were saying earlier of like, yeah, like it is reflective that ordinary people are here, but the so-called like movements or like leaders, blah, 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 aren't. Um, and it actually, I think, makes me think about uh, when we had the event on um, Du Bois and Black Reconstruction, where someone asked like the same question. It's like, you know, these similar um, threads of thought of like, oh, what do we do now? Like, and there is something where when you have these two assumptions of knowing everything and having been removed, if it's actually a genuine question, then the path is to actually go to ordinary people and to learn and to humble yourself and learn from them. But because what was also apparent is that what we're saying is that whereas like either acknowledging or knowing that they come in bad faith, but even if that question was genuine, um, like we saw the response, which is like, what do you do after a conference like this? Your people are excited. People want to talk about it. And then this is like back to what your doc, doc you're saying, which is like, people know what they have to do. It's, it's, it's through an event like this to say like what they imagine or aspire to is possible. And like, what does it mean when you have someone like Robeson who is courageous? It enables you to also be courageous and take courageous stances in your life. Um, and through that, you engage with other people around you and you talk about these ideas and how these play out and yeah, and how you live your day to day, how you organize, how you come together. Um, and that's also like, and that's also, um, like I think, the first time some of us who like f like came from this academic or elite background encountered it, we were like, oh wait, that looks familiar, but it's also kind of jarring. And then now like as a couple of us 
have been through events where like these same questions come up from the same kinds of people yeah you start to recognize it like Strabarto was like you know the last time uh, we didn't know and then now we're like oh wait that's the same thing <laughs> i know you <laughs> um and uh i guess i guess i say this to say like yeah it's the like i think we'll continue to see these questions again but it also reinforces how there's this parallel and divergent path, which is that we're taking. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say that I like what you guys are saying because it's also clarifying for me and I agree. And I, I also like what you said, Doc, about how it's important to state that the people of Platypus, like these young people of Platypus and um, groups like PSL, they are responsible. I mean, I don't give them a pass either, and I've never given them a pass like that because I saw how hostile things were. Like at, like you said, Emily, an elite university in a city like Philadelphia, where I, I basically see it as a parallel where what Platypus and what PSL pushes is earnest at best, but grotesque when in the presence of an ideologically clear and like truthful alternative, which which is what's happening. Like when you describe Doc about the stand that they take on Paul Robeson through Norman Finkelstein, instead of like actually accepting or taking Paul Robeson as he is. Um, and instead taking a very like Frankenstein distorted, like white supremacist understanding of him. Um, Cause yeah, well, I was going to say something about Penn or like, Oh yeah, because, because I think what's hard about like the elite university in the city is that you're dropped in a place where certain contradictions or certain truths or like the crisis of America is very plain to see. And thus you're also faced with a moral choice, like to be, to be at the very least acknowledged, but um, eventually to be made. And everything about that elite environment is going to push you in the opposite direction. So what choice are you going to make? Um, and it's basically an environment where you can't run away from the fact that you are responsible. Um, so yeah, that's how I see these PSL and these platypus people also, because even though some of them might be young, like Fred Hampton was also very young when he was in the Black Panther Party. And he was on the completely right side because he had to, because of the way that history was changing. It was his moral responsibility. Um, yeah, I think there's something else I was gonna say, but it's slipping my mind right now. But yeah, I just like what you said, Emily, because it's, I think it's very true. Like how, how much more sinister the agenda of the elite university becomes, especially when you put, in, put it into a context where you are going to see like poverty, you're going to see deindustrialization, like you're going to see the color line. And that like the, the ideology of the university is going to push you away from that. Um, yeah, that's all. Yeah, because the, okay, because it's, it's basically what it does, and this is something like Magna says in her dissertation to approves with data, but it's basically, you're taught to look down upon the world. You're taught to look 
down upon the mass of humanity, which is ordinary people. And it's the opposite of what Harold Washington said in that quote, where he was like, the greatest teacher I have is the men, women, and children of the city. <laughs> Who, and same with Robeson, where Robeson, it was like the more access he had to the world because of money or fame, the more he was like, oh, wow, like what gives me life and purpose and what I'm loyal to is, and what I am so eager to study. Like in some ways, he wrote for Robeson, he was like, my teacher in life are my people and the world's people, which are interlinked. And in your autonomy, the university is the opposite. Because again, like my friend Barbara, she said something really striking to me, which was, she was like, my dad was a janitor at U Chicago and I hate this place. She was like, I hate this fucking place because my dad was a janitor here for a decade and they like, they treated him like shit. And she never forgot that. And like, that's, that's, you know, that's like U Chicago, University of Pennsylvania. It's like you said, like, it's a place where it's almost, it's almost like, it's like the pressure cooker aspect of it is amplified because if you're a young person on this campus, you can't ignore the fact that you're at the center of wealth and power and just like a few feet across the street is the ghetto. And you're being taught to look down on them. And that, and I think that is, my point is that that's part of the ideological, the ideology that is inherent in prestigious universities like this. And it's doing something. And it's sad because nowadays, I forget who said, oh, you did doc in your presentation. You were like, you asked, you had like, you asked the question of, okay, well, we now can go to any university, like hypothetically, we can go to any university we want now, but there's still war, we're still broke, the community's broken, like, and like, that's the, and I also feel like that's why free school, what we do is so important, but it's also why I think free school in this city is, we face so much, I say, like, we face so much shit because we've hit something so right that the push that we have to be pushed back upon. And yeah. Yeah, I- Yeah, oh. I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, I'm just going to add quickly. Okay, yes, because this, okay, what you helped me complete my thought, which is that I can't absolve these, like these ideas that are being pushed in the platypus or PSL because I see what it produces at an event like this where if you only have five minutes for question, then there's a certain chance to expand or develop knowledge or yeah, a certain chance to discover something. And instead it's interrupted. Like it's artificially interrupted by this BS that doesn't come at all from the same directions that event is going in. And it's the same thing with the university where like, I can't absolve the ideology of any type of elite American university at this time, because I also see what it produces in a city like Philadelphia the types of institutions, the type of knowledge, like the way it distorts and pretty much like breaks young people um, and the way that it like heightens and worsens a lot of the social relationships in Philadelphia and also makes it harder for something like free school to exist. So that's all, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I just like, I was going to say that uh, like, you know, this conversation is making me think back over I think some of the aspects of the panel discussion also, and like you know, this thing Emily was saying that uh, 
लेकिन वी इन फ्री स्कूल फ्यूचर i think in terms of you know this question that uh, we've been talking about about you know robson as the scientist but also uh, like in some sense the scientific project of what we are trying to do and i really appreciated what like you know the part that serafina read out from galileo that like you know this question that dubai is, is talking about is that science has been separated from the question of humanity and i think what he's saying is that science has been separated from the question of future and you know it's it's when we talk about the question of future in terms of humanity and also in terms of knowledge i mean that's what we have been talking about all this while when we read hegel we are concerned about you know the the human capacity and the human capacity to know for knowledge and you know when we are talking about the like you know this frame of thought from which we are operating or you know what what we are really trying to understand and and embody in our lives is the fact that science and the question of and the and the question of human freedom is not ever um you know separated from the question of future and and you know this is the distortion that leads to these completely uh like you know wrong conclusions that you know the the platypus conclusions or basically like you know the whole um trot scared assumption about oh there having to be a perfect revolution because what you're concerned about is is you know your perfection you're not concerned about the future and this is i think this is one of the things that uh, you know we're trying to do that when we have like when we talk about uh, like you know why these uh, like you know these assumptions like you know why the conclusions that uh, like so many on the left are falling prey to and the question of in you know, universities because universities have completely fallen prey to the assumption that you know there is no future to be worked upon and that's because they're ruled by what they do not believe in future and i think this is like a uh, i think this is an important part of like the history of scientific movement it has always been concerned about the future of you know human knowledge of human capacity and once we reject that assumption to like once we reject that as the central anchor from which we operate we are bound to you know come across these uh like completely unjustifiable assumptions like you know all of the things that we are talking about about uh <clears throat> like you know yeah like we are trying to understand like you know like so many on the left they trying to understand oh which is the like the right path to revolution or you know what is the future of 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 communism today I mean, this is the question everybody on the left is concerned over what's the future of socialism but like that that's like that that's a complete distortion because you're not invested in the future of humanity and this also shows how like you know the like um, it completely distorts the thought and personality of all these people like you know they're coming across this as like and this is a wall that you run into there's no way that you're coming out from it unless you reject the basic assumption from which you are operating and i think this was very like you know clarifying when i think you were talking about 
that it has to be um, centered around the question that, okay, we are trying to understand what um, kind of future is possible for humanity. What kind of future can we work toward? What is like, you know, what kind of, of you know, imagination is possible? It's only by being able to, it's only by being able to imagine what's possible can we you know, move in that direction. And that has been the thing uh, that has been erased with, with like all these distortions of, you know, the revolutionary figures that we're talking about. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that this has been really terrifying to me. Yeah, I think this whole conversation, like I've also been thinking a lot about the Galileo Galilei, like specifically the things thought of, and that in contrast, I think with Doc, your comments on the panel and Minister Ishmael's comments, which are about like basically the actualization of a people, like a people in movement, like the thinking and the ideological struggle that's required to get there. And I think the problem with like basically like the left or these universities is that the thought that they present is basically a thing. And you don't have to ever question like the assumptions of that thing, like the philosophical assumptions of it or the world that that thought thing lives in, like the actual consequences of your actions, like taking responsibility for those thoughts. And I think part of it too is like when you were talking, when you were describing the Chinese um, graduate student who was in platypus and how basically like through that certain people like certain Asian people are coming to know black people mediated through a white philosophy and how completely like contrary that is to like Paul Robeson's entire I think like method which is that the peoples of the world can meet each other directly and there's still some mediation which is required which is like the language the language that needs to be understood that needs to be researched or needs to be developed but it's like a true kind of mediation rather than like this wall that people keep talking about, like this brick wall of a thing that is just like preventing you from being in between. Um, yeah, and I just think like all of this stuff, cause I think with college too, like with Grace Lee Boggs, I feel like we went into it thinking of Grace basically like maybe as a thing, which is like, yeah, an Asian woman, but then actually what she illuminates is like all of the philosophical assumptions. And I think part of that too is that it's not just what you do, like protesting or like doing an action or asking like what is to be done. But I think it's the question of like, what is the quality of human being that you need to aspire to be? Like who are the kinds of people that you want to be that you see and that actually move you? Because I feel like part of the, the way that you were describing, um, yeah, like Paul Robeson, his relationship to the people and how people like look up to him and also carry something of Paul Robeson like in themselves, I feel like is just really important. And it's just amazing to me that so much of that just like seemed to have gone over the head of some of these leftists who were the most like the most emboldened to, I guess, ask questions or to almost impress like, oh, like, why aren't you thinking about this thing? Instead of recognizing the whole, like all of the different layers of what was involved. Um, and there are a lot of um, comments. I didn't want to read them because the discussion was so bright, but um, Todd said, good morning. Dylan Pie from Arizona is watching, saying, haven't had the chance for these discussions since I moved from Philly in 2017. Um, Emil, Jacob, Kathy, Blaze, Yvonne, Shade, Pastor Keith, uh, Virginia, Jerome, um, Virginia AG, a lot of people and DJ Elf, the official People's Party. And in terms of comments, um, Shade says, truly you all did a phenomenal job. 
There is nothing missed in your work. I'm overwhelmed by how beautiful the event was. The people's reaction was all the proof of Robeson's impact on humanity. And let's see. Dylan says, far too many modern day educators are caught up in the stagnancy of the dogma they were brought up on. Um, and Virginia says, putting misinformation out there is a moral and political crime, which is, yeah, exactly what Doc and everyone was saying. And she adds that some of us, Tony students, collected signatures to get Gus Hall and Jarvis Tyner on the presidential ballot. Then Gus Hall and Angela Davis, what a time. And Jerome says, it seems from what Doc said that some came to this historical event with sinister motives. Um, and let's see. Oh, what I commend the free school for doing, what most people never do is taking the time to piece apart the actual substance of the event. And there are a lot of, oh man, uh, let's see. DJ Elf says, school taught you to make the boss rich and not empower yourself. So you graduate not knowing how to perform tasks in a factory and not how to affect political change. Um, and then Jake is just really emphasizing the uh, Harold Washington quote that the greatest teacher I had was the men, women and children of the city and how important that is. And Todd says, I think perhaps the what is to be done question does reflect the glaring contradictions within the ruling capitalist class and the general feeling of despair. Um, yes. Can I respond to that? Yeah. Well, because I feel like, I feel like the question what is to be done is a pretty broad one and it can be interpreted different ways, yeah. but based off of what we were saying and how people were interpreting the specific asking of it at the event, it's not really about like, oh, like, what can I do? But like literally the person admitted to doc, like I wasn't even asking a genuine question. I was trying to provoke you. And... <laughs> It's also, yeah, the, the subtext of the question is like, not what is to be done, but you guys are not doing anything. What are the actual things that need to be done? Mm -hmm. And this is something that we came up against a lot when we were reading together at Cornell, the, the, those of us who are at Cornell, where people would be like, yeah, this weird thing about like material, like the material world is the only thing that matters and reading doesn't matter and ideas don't matter. And the only thing that matters is like the material, the quote unquote concrete. And the thing is, is that psychologically and sociologically, it is very interesting because while on the one hand, the universities basically condition you to not realize, as many people have been saying, to not realize that you have a responsibility and that not just your actions, but also that your words and ideas have consequences. But at the same time, I think universities and like professors and also these leftist groups, they prey upon the guilt of the college students, yeah. especially those who are in, yeah, like the big cities, as Emily was saying, where whether you realize it consciously, you do see that you are part of a problem and that you are separated from the people and that you're all, also you're part of a life world which is antagonistic to ordinary people. And so these different forces prey upon the guilt of these students and then kind of, you know, uh, distort it into something which is basically, um, yeah, then you become someone who's like, yeah, like, I don't know, part of PSL or something where you're trying to assuage your guilt by like being a quote unquote revolutionary, but your whole concept of being what a revolutionary is, is essentially like 
trying to meet people's quote unquote material needs. Like that's, but like, it, it's all coming from basically a place of guilt. And yeah, I just feel like the, what I would hope for anyone who went to the event, but especially younger people is something that, yeah, like I've learned from the past couple years, especially from being part of free school and this incredible opportunity. And I just feel very fortunate to be part of this group of people and this community. But like, I feel like when we do stuff in free school, like when we do events and like, yeah, like when we like present documentaries and stuff, the primary response that we get from, yeah, especially like older black people is like, thank you. Thank you for making this information and this knowledge available. It is so important. And that's not like a material, like obviously, yes, people are suffering and we're not like, nothing that we're doing is saying that people should just ignore the fact that there's lots of suffering out there. But like, what we are trying to impart and to contribute towards is the sense of confidence in people that they can solve these problems. And that when you're just doing this thing of like, oh, we need to do like, uh, I don't know, some kind of GoFundMe to like, whatever, you know, like, it's just um, like you yourself have not come to terms yet with your own, like, like, yeah, basically guilt. And I think the other thing is that when you're in an environment like the Chicago event, like you should take a step back. And this is, yeah, I guess addressing either the platypus person or the PSL person. You should take a step back and actually think about why does it seem so jarring for me to ask that question? And why was there a response amongst the audience when I asked that question where like I thought that I was doing something smart. <laughs> like I thought that I was pointing out something that you guys hadn't thought of. Like maybe we have thought about it, but also like you should think about, yeah, like why is it that my question was so out of place um, and actually reflect on it and not just, I don't know, like proceed from all of these, yeah, like all of these assumptions that are either rooted in guilt or rooted in a profound sense of irresponsibility, um, which I guess are kind of tied together, but yeah. I wanted to uh, express some, I guess, some gratitude that, uh, how uh, Brother Abel, Student uh, Minister, uh, Brother Abel Muhammad accepted our invitation to attend our celebration of Robeson. So uh, some background, he's a student minister at Mos Mariam, the Nation of uh, Islam headquarters in Chicago, and he's uh, a Mexican from Chicago. And, uh, you know, we're, we're working out the Afro-Asiatic reconfiguration of the world, uh, which is to say, we want to draw, now that the West is in decline and uh, has dug its own grave, uh, we are looking for a way out and we look towards the history, uh, the values and the struggle of Africa, Asia and Black America to find new human relations, to uh, find new uh, national, international uh, relations and uh, uh, to see, uh, uh, I guess, uh, somebody that says, you know, I'm an Asiatic black man, uh, which uh, to me, I mean, it means something a lot because uh, I'm, I'm of uh, Mexican descent. And uh, to see someone that says I'm in the black freedom struggle, which is not a struggle that is uh, exclusive to one particular people, but a uh, conception of a freedom and a way of viewing the world from the struggle of an enslaved people that has become so wide that 
you have a conception of freedom that involves all people and then you can see and be, uh, see all of the world and become part of it. Uh, well, to me, I'm like, wow, like that's, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. Uh, and I, 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 and I can't be the only one, uh, you know, especially in a place like Chicago, the, 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 uh, uh, which is a, a center of struggle, uh, and that has, uh, a large black population, large Mexican Latina population, uh, and I think that also has a history uh, of struggle of these two uh, groups together, seeing their common uh, position in society and their common future. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, this is something that uh, the, this country and this world needs. And uh, I'm humbled to say that we uh, have done something, uh, especially our, our movie team, uh, that uh, th these people we respect so much that are leading a struggle feel that uh, we had something to offer uh, and we, we too can be in service uh, to the people of Chicago and the people of this country and the people of this world. So yeah, that was that was beautiful, man. Chicago, it's no joke, man. Chicago's no joke. I just wanted to add something. Like I think like since the time I came to America, like I've been struggling to understand like race, like because this is something that's like I I don't still think that I feel comfortable, but I think through this event, I'm trying to like understand concretely, like what do you mean by whiteness? Because uh, in the university, like I think with this whole discussion, I think it was very clear, like what, um, okay, I'm trying to coherently say it, but I, I might fail, but I'll try it again. But you know, the thing that uh, at, at some point, Du Bois and Robeson both said that we wanted to prove ourselves, like, be extraordinary, try everything to prove ourselves so that we could prove to the world that the black man had something to contribute. And I feel like that's what is, I mean, in a way, the event was laying out Robeson's life like that for people to, for people who are not aware of Robeson, I'm not talking about the black community, but people, Asians, immigrants, like who are coming in here. And it was to lay out this man's life and through his example, understand how much of a contribution the black radical tradition had made to the world. And, and to completely miss that, uh, like that is also for, through the university education, like the kind of blinders they put on you, where you subconsciously like uh, have this sense of whiteness, uh, which you can't see out of. Yeah. And yeah, I think, it, it was really evident and the way like uh, Doc put it, I think that, you know, like you are disrespecting black people when you say, when, when you ask these questions. So it sort of like makes you feel like, like black people have nothing to prove to you. You need to get out of your <laughs> whiteness and walk over, walk over to our side. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Are there any more comments? Uh, let's see. Um, okay, so yeah, the user commented that their name's actually Jim Engel, and Todd responds, yeah, I'm not trying to contradict 
those sentiments at all, Jeremiah. I'm reflecting on the broader conditions and contradictions of like the statement itself. And then there's like, it's more of an internal discussion in the comments, <laughs> but Christopher Romero says, um, good afternoon from New York. Material conditions are important, but so is the intellectual hunger of the people. Perhaps people want to understand why life has been this way and what is the way forward. And I feel like that's really important. Like yeah. the people, not just as like things to be acted upon, which I think is basically the way that PSL or like some of these party people think of it, which is that they have the ideas and then the people just follow. But rather what we're saying, which is that with like the new consciousness of the world, the people as a whole are the revolutionary agents. And that like out of that, like a philosophy for the people of the people has to come out. And that Paul Robeson is like one of, yeah, like a forerunner of the civil rights movement, but also a forerunner of like that example. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's like pretty much the main comments that are responding to our discussion. But yeah. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add, I know we've talked about this in the past with Du Bois's Black Reconstruction. I feel like I've said it a lot in informal, like casual conversations with all of you, but this is like, I think underneath a lot of Du Bois's work, especially is a spoken and unspoken, very firm and determined statement that Du Bois makes over and over and over again, which is he says, do you believe that the ordinary person, that the ordinary man is capable of creating and building civilization? Do you believe that civilizations in the past, music, art, culture, democracy, knowledge, that that was created by the ordinary man. And there's just, I feel like to me that permeates a lot of political thought today. Well, you can tell whether someone, you actually believe the ordinary person has made history, has made civilization, is the determiner of the future, or whether you don't. And I just wanted to say that because to me, that's what, like, if, the, to me, it's very clear that the connection is basically the racist, this racist notion that the Black proletariat has not been the main rudder and driver of revolution in this country, of progress in this, of, in this, of progress in this country, advancing the democratic struggle in this country. That underneath it all is the belief that the ordinary person, no matter where you are in the world, has not been is not the has not been the builder of civilization and that's Robeson that's why Robeson is so important where Robeson is like in the music there's something them in the music around the world the folk music there's something there it's the capacity of the people to build to make history to govern um, that's our oneness the oneness of humanity and yeah and I, I just wanted to say that and also like the other story I just wanted to share was. We were, so like a bunch of us, we went to the event early. It was 3 p.m. And the museum, I guess, was about to close. And you could tell the guy at the front desk was a little like, you guys are coming to the museum way too late. You're only going to have 40 minutes to spend in the museum. And we all made the decision to like pay the money to go into the museum for 40 minutes anyways. <laughs> and I think this guy was kind of judging us low key where he was like, oh you guys are going to like, we're going to have to kick you out at 4 p.m., whatever. But then later when we went to the front to bring in the food and he saw that we were organizing this event, part of the event being organized, like I had brought a bunch of Du Bois hoodies to Chicago and I had, I had brought enough extras that I was like, you know, I'll just, whoever I see, like maybe I'll just give a hoodie. So I decided to give the guy at the front desk one of the hoodies. 
And he was so excited and he looked at the hoodie and he looked at me, he said, you know, the youth are all right after all. <laughs> he was like, you know, the youth are all right after all. And then he smiled and walked away with his hoodie. And that's the thing, that's who we are. Like the messengers are the message. And it's also this thing of, for me, I feel so deeply that this thing that Doc, you said a few weeks ago, which is the people have always searched for knowledge. The people have always, since the beginning of time, been interested in ideas. What are the spirituals? You know, like what is this, what is song then? What are the sorrow songs to make sense of life, to imagine the future, to organize? Like that's folk music, folk music, like anywhere you, you go. And yeah, I just feel so passionate about this point because it's just like, yeah, it's just for me, I just feel this really deep determined. In some ways, this is exactly the deep determination I have coming from a university where I, I do feel like it taught me the opposite. To look down upon ordinary people, but also look down upon myself. It's why it's so emotional to see that documentary. Like for me, it's like, I feel so like personal about China. And to see Zhang Weiwei say like, thank you, Robeson. Like it's so emotional to me. To see that China celebrated his 110th anniversary, birth anniversary. Like that moves me that like for some reason it moves me to tears or to see Robeson so unequivocally be like, New, I want, I congratulate New China, like, and I want to learn your language. I want to learn your song. And then China made the March of the Volunteers, the national anthem. Like, that gives me so much pride. And you feel a sense of loyalty to a tradition and to a person you never even met. And that's why I was a little disappointed with the person from Platypus, because I was like, bro, like, we're, we could basic, we're basically, we're people, like, you're my people, and I just want to know, like, were you moved to, like, were you moved to, um, because that's us, that's our, like, we're the, we're the same generation, like, we have work to do, and we have, like, we're so lucky to have a family that we're loyal to, you know, this human family that Minister Ishmael said. And yeah, that's that was another point I wanted to say is like, I forgot to say it earlier, but I love the one line I actually really, really remembered from Minister Ishmael's presentation was he made the point that the reason why people have had to try to destroy Robeson is because Robeson encountered and wanted to yell from the rooftops that he did the truth, which is that the which is that the black proletariat belonged with humanity. And I thought that was really profound because he was like, if you separate the black proletariat from humanity, the human family they belong with, then you you have um, then you succeed in denigrating like humanity's march forward. Then you do succeed in like pushing down the working class, preventing a new future from being born. And I think that was really moving for me to hear because I feel like that's what we have found in the nation of Islam. Like just like the documentary, like seeing Robeson sing, sing the Chinese national anthem is really moving for me. Like I've said it before and I'll say it again, which is like, it was very moving to me to hear Minister Rodney Muhammad the first time I ever went to the nation of Islam. I had no effing idea what I was walking into. And he just said out loud, he was like, you know, people want me to, people want you to hate Minister Farrakhan, just like they want me to hate Mao. And I don't hate Mao. And actually I love Mao. And I love that man. And I love what his people have done. 
And yeah, that means everything to me. And yeah, it's, and that's, it's a, it's, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like a very deep human loyalty. Like I have, it's a very deep loyalty to like a tradition that has given me so much and had can and like can give so many young people everything. Um, I think you, you're the one who said it, Doc. You're like, in some ways, this is the real theory of everything. Robeson was on the path to discovering the real theory of everything. I, I also wanted to, like, this thing you're saying about human beings with song and art, always that, that endeavor, you know, aspiring to something. You can say the same thing for science, you know. I mean, what is science if, if, if it is not for human beings, if it's not for the ordinary people? Does it have any existence on its own? And that's what Du Bois was saying, that Galileo having the lie that he told to save his own life and maybe continue seven extra years of pitiable, I know, whatever, scientific research, it does not, like, when you compare it to the betrayal of his fellow human beings, it does not compare. And I think nowadays, I mean, it's it's very stark. You're, you're basically, people have tried to separate, divorce science from human beings. So science is its own thing. Science is for science itself. It can, it can have a, an existence outside of human existence. And I mean, that makes no sense at all because from the beginning of time, it was attached to the movement of peoples. You need knowledge because humanity has to move forward. What else will we do with knowledge? Like, what existence does it have in the abstract? Yeah, I think, um, sorry. Like, there's another thing I was thinking about of um, this idea of, like, whether it's Rogerson or anyone else that we celebrate, of them being a complete human being. Because... Um, you know, I feel like young, like younger people these days, if you try to talk about someone as a complete person or the complete picture of them, it's usually um, either implicitly or explicitly to just be like, oh, King, the complete picture of King is that he was depressed <laughs> or like the complete picture of King is that he had like affairs or whatever. Like that's how they try to spin it. But actually it's, it's such a tragedy because like the way that we have come to understand like King as a complete human being, Robeson as a complete human being is this one, first of all, the striving of every individual person to become a whole person. Like, and I feel like that's been very important just for me as a person, but like also the striving of people to become whole in a broader collective sense and to become complete. And yeah, I think something else I, I wanted to say is like, it's, it just made me reflect on like what my mindset was coming out of college and like, yeah, like why a lot of us came to free school. Um, but like, if I learned anything from the time that we spent reading together at Cornell and like reading Grace Lee Boggs and Du Bois and King and Baldwin was like, I don't know who to trust in this world, but like, I trust Baldwin. Like I trust James Baldwin. Like, I trust Martin Luther King. Like I trust Du Bois. And it's such a, it's like in retrospect, maybe at the time it seemed like a small thing, but actually it's, yeah, like that's what you stake your life on. But that's also where there's such a difficulty because whether people admit it or not, like young people are, yeah, conditioned basically to trust 
ultimately like the white thinkers and like there's nothing wrong obviously with like being like white and like a, I don't know like racial sense but like this is also where you get this whole thing of oh Robeson could not have been what like we're saying he is he must have been basically a puppet of Gus Hall or whatever you know like and there must have been some flaw in Robeson or some flaw in Du Bois and like they were Stalinist and like yeah that whole thing but you're coming at it from basically the perspective of like what someone else has said about Du Bois, what someone else has said about Robeson. And I think the beautiful thing is that like just speaking from experience, but I feel like this resonates with a lot of us, but when you actually trust someone, like genuinely trust, not just intellectually, but also on a moral level, someone like Robeson and the example that they led, yeah, like you begin to trust yourself more. You trust like you trust yourself and the way that you can relate to the world and the way that and the kind of person that you can become and you trust those experiences and that leads you to become yeah that ultimately I feel like all of us are trying to also become more complete versions of ourselves and people who can actually do good and contribute in a positive way to this world so yeah I was just thinking about yeah this idea of like completeness um yeah Yeah, I guess sort of related is when um, Minister Ismail was talking, he said something, which is that when a man, if he only lives for himself, when he's gone, he's gone. But if he lives for something greater than himself, then when he's like physically gone, he's still here with us. And... Um, There was a segment in the documentary where like Purva had also shared this like ahead of time with Amir Baraka essentially calling out to Du Bois and Robeson that we need them. And and I think that's what we're trying to do, which is that they're still here with us. And I guess the other piece that I was going to say is that we live in a time when life seems like almost disposable. And I think, Doc, during the conference you said, which is that when things that are unnatural, such as greed and exploitation are the rule of law, then violence and murder and chaos become natural things when they're unnatural. Um, and it is really sad um, that we see both people die, like physically, just out of like very stupid and for no reason at all. But then also like people die just while they're still alive. Um, and I think that's also why I've been thinking a lot about death lately, which is like, what is life and what is death? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think it's people like Robeson and even Baldwin. I, I say Baldwin because there's a poster in Michelle's room with Baldwin above <laughs> the camera. Um, but they teach you like in spite of the difficulty and struggles in life to like live a complete life where so as long as you've contributed your best um that's like beyond that you can at least uh be okay with the fact or truly believe that uh like something that minister ismail had said um which is that like justice will never will not forever be asleep that like what king says in the long arc of history or like the moral arc of the history of history bends towards justice um and yeah i think i've just been reflecting a lot and it's, it's helpful well one i've been reflecting a lot about life and death because of everything that's going on around us um, but also like yeah i think we're all in free school like trying to do good And I think that's also worth sharing with other people, which is that it is still important. It is important. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I would just say, you know, uh, I mean, you, you all, your generation is facing a most difficult struggle, way more difficult than for my generation. Um, and Alice, I agree with you. Uh, the imminence of death all the time and where the ruling class of this country can only talk about war. War is the central agenda, even though the people don't want war. And um, you know, this, this is, I, I mean, I, I feel it completely, you know, and that's why the documentary was so valuable because it said there is a way out. There is a way out. And, you know, I just want to say that I, I and, and, you know, I, I know what Eddie is saying completely. And that's what, um, uh, Minister Abel Muhammad represents the unity of humanity, that there is no Mexican-American separated really from the African-American struggle. That's when it really, everything makes sense. Minister Abel Muhammad is no less a Mexican-American in the nation of Islam than he would have been outside of the nation of Islam, except that his life has a higher and deeper purpose. Am I is, am I correct about this? You know what I'm saying? Oh, go 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 ahead, Eddie. <laughs> no, completely, completely. Uh, please please keep going, dog. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, and you could see it in him. I mean, I just wish everybody could meet him. I hope he comes on June seventeenth. 
he and his wife. I mean, just, um, I mean, he is an American in the only way that you can be an American. There are not a lot of options here, but the question is to figure out what is America and what makes me an American in the 21st century. This is a, this is a big question. And if you don't like Americans as we think America is if you don't like them, if you think they are the backwater of world humanity, which a lot of people do, a lot of, and I say leftists, cultural leftists, everything is wrong with the American people. They've done nothing. They're incapable of doing anything really positive. And you know, I you know, we keep talking about the nation of Islam and and giving them, you know, all due respect for what they are doing, for what they have done, you know, lifting up the downtrodden. And that's really what they have done. I mean, in the first resurrection and in this resurrection. And you know, um we reached out to uh Eileen X, also known as Amina Mohammed, the Chinese woman who's a member of the Nation of Islam and community activist in LA, an artist. And we wanted to see if she could come to the June 17th event. She couldn't. But, you know, everyone wants to know how does a Chinese woman find her way to the Nation of Islam? Which is a question, how does a Mexican-American man find his way to the nation of Islam? What does this, what meaning does this have for him? You know, uh, I, I ask myself, how does Samir find his way to the church of the overcomer? What is this? And I, I can say, you know, I know for African-Americans, it is deeply affirming for us when people who we don't think of as being a part of us are part of us. It is really affirming. That's what was going on out of DuSable, the things that people said, uh, you know, uh, Emily, I'm certain he was saying, well, what are, what are these Asians? Oh, what are taking, you know? And then, as you all were setting up and you gave him this hoodie. I mean, this, you don't realize that these small acts of kindness across the divisions that are artificial mean so much. And, you know, for Minister Abel Mohammed to have such deep, trust, I would say, I'll put it this way, in Afro-America and our struggle and our suffering, you don't know it means so much. And I hope that he can come. I hope that 
Amina Mohammed can come at some point. Uh, I know uh, Minister Ishmael would like to come and, and we're gonna, I'm gonna call him and make sure and see if he can come on the 17th. But you, you know, the idea of a new people, a new people being born, you know, uh, you can only understand this. I think I can only understand it. When one is connected to the people, once you're connected to our people, then all philosophies and theories can be fit in to the historical empirical reality that we live. But it be, I, I agree with everybody. With, it begins with the people. And then we see that the people are so much alike. That's Robeson. You know, I want to hang out more with, with Alice and them up in Chinatown. You know, uh, with Sister Mina out in LA and the gangs and Chinese thugs and all of that. I want to get down with them. What are they thinking? All of this is the great material that confirms that humanity has a future in spite of the great dangers of this ruling class. It's, um, these are, you know, these are emotional times, I mean, to put it mildly. Put it mildly. Yeah, I mean, anybody could break down weeping and crying at the drop of a hat because Everything is so sensitive and so emotional. Uh, yeah, I can attest to that. I didn't mean to be emotional when I started. <laughs> if, if it were just you, Alice, it would be an unusual thing. We're all like this. I mean, you, you saw Naya. I mean, I just, I was so uh, impressed by the way she handled it. I'd say, wow, I, I wanted to take a lesson from you. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, you did it so with such grace and dignity. I said, oh, wow, I wish I was that graceful. <laughs> you know? I just break down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I don't think there are any more comments, are there? Um, so we could, if you'd like, we could also, we could end a little early. Oh, I guess it's only five minutes early. The last time I checked, it was like one. And I was like, oh, wow, we have time for Hegel. But now it's 1.55. <laughs> so we could end here, um, as always. It was a great Saturday free school with you guys and everyone in the chat. And we're really looking forward to continue building on a great event in Chicago and honoring Paul Robeson and the most honorable Elijah Muhammad with our event on June 17th, which is a festival. And it's titled Unconquered Love, The Magnificent Lives of Paul Robeson and the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Um, so we'll be providing updates on that. Um, we'll probably start 
going more public with our flyers and everything this coming week. But we'll see you next week. And um, yeah, and it was great. Thank you for everyone who participated. Oh, fuck. Keep doing that.